Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com, the website of the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore located at 1598 North High Street. Visit the store or shop online at ShopOhioState.com for the finest Ohio State gear and apparel. And our friends at MinutemanTickets.com. They are a local ticket agency with a national selection for sports, for concerts, for theater. Make Minuteman Tickets your ticket guys. They're already our ticket guys. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We think your ears just heard something different because that's a theme song, baby. That is a real, honest to gosh, theme song. Um, and we're so grateful for it. Uh, I wrote it. Yeah. Really cool. So that's 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 the Buckeye Talk theme song, and we're back. Doug Maurice and Bill Landis. Tim's still on a break this week, but we have a lot to talk about. And briefly acknowledge uh, that we were delirious during the last podcast. I didn't. Did you listen? Sometimes I listen. I didn't listen to that one. I don't I, know how bad it was. I did listen. I thought we sounded like three beers in, not like ten in. Okay. Even though I mean we had none. We it was had just, zero. Yeah. It was just sleep deprivation. We slurred some of our words, but not all of our words. That's the sweet spot. Yeah. So thanks, you guys, for listening. Doug Maurice and Bill Landis. Read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. Send the reviews for Buckeye Talk to iTunes with the five-star rating. Uh, we'll get into our ratings a little bit later. Um, you can always uh, email us questions. What's the email? BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. Follow us at BillLandis25 at Doug Maurice at BuckeyeTalkPod. That's on Twitter. We're going to get to a bunch of questions, and we promised on Saturday night after Wisconsin laid Lost. a cheesy, cheesy egg. Like, you put some cheese in with your eggs, Love flavors it. up the egg sometimes. Yep. They put in just a load of cheese with that egg, and they just squatted and just laid it right at midfield. <laughs> um they lost, and we vowed to call out everybody who picked Wisconsin to make the playoff. And lo and behold, we have already spoken to two national sports writers who picked Wisconsin to make the play- to make the playoff. And we, you will hear those interviews later in this podcast 
where we asked them what in God's name were they thinking, picking the Wisconsin Badgers. So we delivered on that promise. We'll dig into that later, but we're going to start with the topic that was suggested by Michael Wine at Buckeye underscore seven. And there's a lot going on this week. I was going to send an email initially, not an email. I was going to do a Twitter poll because I can't, unless you guys all want to send me your emails and we can just get like a big email group. We can just, <laughs> we can just email each other all the time. Like, hey guys, what do you want us to talk about? I was going to do a Twitter poll of in a two hour Buckeye Talk podcast, how much do you want us to talk about the return of Urban Meyer? Like, Half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, right? And then I was like, first of all... Or two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, we're not going to listen to what you say. Yep. And second of all, I think the answer might be two minutes. I think the answer is two minutes. Yeah. I'm pretty confident in that. So maybe we'll get into that later, just in the flow of the questions. But we've already written a lot about that on Monday. We'll give you our feeling later. We already have a video up on cleveland.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for cleveland.com Ohio State. We've given our opinions on a lot of that, and and we do sort of feel like it's, you know, it's never over till it's over, but but we feel like we, everybody has moved past that, so we don't want to dwell on that because I don't we don't think that's what you want to want to hear. But we'll if we have questions about it, we'll dance around it a little bit. We're not trying to avoid it. We just don't want to beat you over the head. And here's the thing. I I will acknowledge this. I have muted so many people that I am at the point on Twitter where I think to myself, wow, everybody just agrees with me (laughs) all the time. And then I remember, that's right. In the last seven weeks, I have muted 300 people. If you have sent me a Twitter message along the lines of, who cares, or stop beating a dead horse, or why are you writing about this, you're muted. So if you are still sending me those messages and you're wondering why I don't respond, it's because I don't see them. Because if you are wondering why I'm writing about it, my answer to you is don't read it. And then my answer for myself is mute you. So if you've tried to, tried to send me 10 Twitter messages in the last week and I'm not responding, it's because you're muted. And if you want to get unmuted because you'd like to move on and no longer send me Twitter messages that say, who cares, then get your friend to send me a, twi- send me a tweet and maybe I'll unmute you. But in the meantime, you're muted forever, maybe. And I blocked a couple of you. And I blocked somebody that I've interacted with and that has followed for a long time. And if you're going to be a jerkwad about why we're writing what we're writing, my answer is just don't read it. But if you're going to be a jerk about it, then you're blocked. So enjoy your block. I'm not in the habit of blocking. How many people have you blocked? I only have like bots blocked that tweet spam at me. Yeah. <clears throat> I block you if you swear at me. And and there are just a couple people who just were so annoying with their nobody cares. And here's the thing. Not everybody agrees with your opinion. Oh, no. I have one other person blocked because they sent me a lot of DMs. But... uh I'll unblock them. Were they trying to slide into your DMs? Yeah, but like not not in like a mean way, just like a lot. And I was like, my phone kept buzzing, and I didn't uh, want to be a jerk, so I just like denied them access to it. Oh yeah, but yeah, I'll unblock yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's where we stand on that. Here's the question from Michael Wine at Buckeye underscore seven with our fresh, new, fresh, fresh topic. A CBS mock draft has Nick Bosa number one to the Bills and Draymond Jones number five to the Lions. How many first rounders will Ohio State have in next year's draft? 
Oh, I, I went through the whole roster. Well, we are allowed to expand <laughs> okay. upon a question. So Landis, when we said we were going to lead with this, expanded it to how many first-rounders are on the roster, not just for the 2019 draft, but for any future draft. And again, just to, to run that over again, it's a CBS mock draft from Chris Trapasso. You know, why do people do mock drafts in September? Because people lead with them on podcasts. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things, just like the AP poll, it's harmless, it's fun, you guys like it. We kind of like it. It doesn't mean it's right. And, and half the time, people are pulling it out of their butts, just like this entire podcast is pulled out of a butt. Nick Bosa, number one. Draymond Jones, number five. This is in a, in a year where defensive linemen are going to be rated really high, and at the moment, there is not an obvious quarterback question. Um, I guess my first, my first comment to you, Bill, and this has a, a, been a very popular topic, and can I just diverge for a moment? Do you sure. mind if I go on a tangent briefly? Good. I know I don't. We don't usually like tangents on Buckeye Talk. We try to keep it straight on the topic. I don't like it when people who cover only Ohio State say things like Nick Bose is the best player in the country, and I, maybe I've said that, but like you don't know. Yeah. Like a statement along the lines of Nick Bose is very good at football. Factual. Yep. But to like to just be like, well, I've watched every snap of Nick Bosa's career and four Sports Center highlights of the rest of the country, and my determination is Nick Bosa is the best player in college football. I, I, I don't like that sometimes. So I think actually so far it's possibly like Nick Bosa is awesome. I actually think he's possibly overrated at the moment only because there are some people behaving as if he's the greatest person ever to have stepped on a football field. Yeah, I I would not use the word overrated. I I think uh I think media can be hyperbolic without, you know, calling a player overrated. Yeah. So, given that Bill Landis AP voter who has watched uh, every snap of every game. Of every game. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of time. There's, there's Sundays like, are busy. There's like 60 games a week. Mm-hmm. And they're all like 3 hours long, so that's 180 hours. And there's not 180 hours in a day, but you find a way. Yep. Uh, Nick Bosa at number one. How much sense does that make to you? Uh, I guess it makes sense to me in a year where there's like not a definite number one quarterback, and also I don't know. You probably know this better than I do. Like who, who needs a quarterback in the NFL that like would draft a quarterback number one overall? I don't. I don't know what team oh, that is. Yeah, I mean that's interesting because like it seems like the two suckiest teams at the moment are Arizona and Buffalo, who just, who took, just quarterbacks took quarterbacks in the first round. Yeah, and 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 after a year where there were four guys legitimately viewed as top ten picks, and plus Lamar Jackson as a super interesting wild card, um, that like Drew Locke or Justin Herbert from Oregon or, or Dwayne Haskins maybe. Um, I think Dwayne Haskins is going to get involved in this conversation in a very interesting way, and mm-hmm. we'll we'll get into that more and more as the season goes on. But I think the idea of like a defensive player going number one is very possible. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, th- I think it's 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 like quarterbacks, pass rushers, cornerbacks, and like offensive tackles. I think are the guys that are in, in that conversation for number one. And I'm not going to pretend like I know anybody, but I'm fairly confident saying that Nick Bosa is the best defensive end in college football, maybe the best pass rusher in college football. Um, so it makes sense to me that he'd be number one overall. People think he's better than his brother, and his brother was the first non-quarterback taken in his draft. So I yep. think it's definitely possible for Nick to go number one. And it's going to be interesting, and, and I'll get into this. I'll definitely write things about this as the year goes on, just comparing him to Miles Garrett. Like, it's easy to compare. Of course you compare Nick Bosa to his brother. 
You know, Miles Garrett was the overall number one pick two years ago and is making a difference for the Browns. But like, for instance, on Sunday against the Saints, Miles Garrett got blocked one-on-one for most of the game. Like he wasn't absolutely dominating on every snap, but of course he almost, he single-handedly brought the, the Buckeyes back. Not the Buckeyes. Kind of get confused. He single-handedly <laughs> brought the Browns back against the Steelers by forcing a fumble on what was a very normal play. Much the same way that Nick Bosa forced a fumble um, and scored Ohio State's first touchdown. Just on a, he just rushed the passer, and as soon as TCU tried to take a normal drop back, it, it was over. Um, I think Nick Bosa is very interesting athletically. Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports um, wrote a big profile on Nick Bosa that talked about like his stretching routine and that he he has the chance. It seems like from that story to at the combine do some things with some times um, that will show that he is as athletic or more athletic than any defensive end that's come through the combine. So I think he's going to be in that discussion. I still think there are definitely still Ed Oliver people out there. And I think it's interesting how teams will view defensive tackle versus defensive end. Um, You know, Ed Oliver, Ed Oliver from Houston just might be in a situation where he's so unique as a pass rushing defensive tackle that you can find pass rushing defensive ends. Can you maybe not find the next Ed Oliver? Um, so anyway, I think I think and, and here's the other thing too that's going to be interesting. Miles Garrett played on an ankle at Texas A&M his last year that people he played on it and then sometimes he didn't seem like he was going hard all the time necessarily, but he was actually playing with pain and that kind of thing. You didn't know how bad it was. It will be interesting to see what this groin, abdominal, whatever it is exactly situation with Nick Bosa that we're, yeah. he's not going to play against Tulane. Um, obviously, his health is a, a, a major deal for Ohio State this year, but also everything like this affects his draft status. And I'll be very curious to see like if he doesn't play some games, or maybe he plays fewer snaps because he's trying to. He doesn't want to knock himself out for the year by going too much. This is a little bit of a wrench thrown into this season because that seems like a thing that is the kind of thing you could reaggravate. Yeah, I, I'll be very curious to know whether or not they even consider the idea of like shutting him down depending on how long it lingers if it's like a six game thing and we don't know what it is it could be could be back next week against Penn State um a lot on the line for him there's a lot on the line for him if like he's not quite 100 percent and tries to play hurt I know he really wants to win a national championship and he's on a team that could win one there's a lot a lot will go into the decision of when he comes back and how much they use him when he comes back and if he comes back at all and we've seen that before just with other guys where a thing starts out as something and then it lingers and you don't know what to do. And um, we've, we've seen it with a lot of guys. It's just especially some of those, this type of injury. Uh, it'll be interesting. What about Draymond Jones? Draymond Jones is a number five overall pick. He was a guy who was projected as a first rounder, you know, before last season, during last season. Maybe by the end of the year wasn't his best year. Would he have gone in the first round? I don't know. It, I, don't I think, think so. I think if he had had a better year, he would have gone pro. Um, he would tell you that. He knows he didn't have his best year last year. He had an injury situation in the middle of the season that he couldn't help. What he did against TCU, does this look like a guy to you that is a, that is a top 10, top 15 pick? I don't know about top 10, top 15. I, like Top 5 is really high, and I think Draymond's good. Um, I think I might have said before that I, I've – I thought for a while that he has potential first-round talent. I just didn't know if this particular class was so deep that it would push him to the second round. Um, I'm not as worried about that now, like having watched him against TCU. I wrote a thing on Monday morning that 
he, I think it was Monday morning, he, he showed an ability to take over games that I didn't really know that he had. I knew he was good and obviously a good pass rusher. He did a lot. He had five tackles and two for loss and a sack and a touchdown in the second half of a very important game and, and stood out in a way that Nick Bosa normally stands out uh, against TCU. And, and that, to me, said a lot. So I think he is definitely first-round worthy. Top five still seems high to me. Um, I think I'd probably take Ed Oliver over him. Um, definitely, I would take Nick Bosa over him, and I would like entertain the idea of Rashawn Gary over Draymond. But Draymond's in a conversation for first-round pick uh, for sure for me. So those those athletic interior guys are always interesting, mm-hmm. right? They're 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 unique. Adolphus Washington was a guy who sort of played that role for Ohio State again, like Draymond was an end who moved inside, and we thought that was so interesting. We did an entire series a couple years ago on looking for those athletic defensive tackles, and the way Larry Johnson looks for them is he looks for high school ends he thinks can move inside. Yeah. Adolphus Washington was uh, 6'4", 295. At least that's what he's listed at now. He just got released by the Buffalo Bills and signed to the Dallas Cowboys practice squad. He was a third-round pick. I thought he was overdrafted. Yeah. I didn't think the Adolphus Washington that we saw at Ohio State um, was a third-round pick. Um, We're seeing some of those guys in that Ohio State 2016 uh, draft class got overdrafted, for sure. There was a little bit of a buzz around them, and... um, some of them got overdrafted. Adolphus Washington, 6'4", 295. Draymond Jones listed at 6'3", 286. Uh, I think Draymond Jones is significantly better than Adolphus Washington. I agree. And, and if you remember, Adolphus Washington uh, was was supposed was a starting defensive end in 2013 and got hurt. And that's how Joey Bosa got in the starting lineup as a true freshman. And then when Adolphus Washington came back, they were like, oh, Joey Bosa plays in. Let's make Adolphus Washington a defensive tackle. So uh, that's, and I'm not at all suggesting Draymond Jones is like even possibly a third round pick. I'm just saying, I thought Adolphus Washington was a guy with an interesting athletic profile who was not a not a game-in, game-out, play-in, play-out, dominating college football player who still went in the third round of the NFL draft. So to me, if Draymond Jones being that type of player on the same team, around the same size, I think Draymond Jones really could be a top 15 kind of guy. I think top five, whatever, it's like it's a guy in September who... He's not watching... Having uh, to watch the TCU game. Oh, that guy's pretty good. Yeah, he's not watching 180 hours of film every week either. Nobody is, except Phil Steele. So so I think it's interesting. I, th- I think Draymond Jones is going to be a first-rounder, though. As long as he's healthy, he is an, an interesting athlete and an interesting playmaker at a valuable position where even in a draft where the defensive line is deep, you still, those guys don't... Don't grow on trees. So I think yeah. people are going to – I think the NFL is going to be very interested in Draymond Jones, and I expect him to be a guy who, like a lot of Ohio State guys, he'll test well at the combine. He'll interview well at the combine. He is a really smart, confident, relaxed, um, funny – just he projects – You, I, it's one of those things. This is not the whole thing, but you, you – you're around Draymond Jones, you, you're around him, and then you watch him and you think, I want that guy on my team. And there yeah. is some intrinsic thing, I think, that teams look for. I, do you think he's a little better, or that's more, more noticeable this year? Yes. I feel like he's, 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 and it's like, I think it's easy for us to just sort of like equate being a better quote and talking a little more to like being more confident, because that's like what we care about. 
Um, but I do think it's noticeable. I think he's carrying himself differently. I think, and as we've mentioned this, and I think we said we'll make this a podcast topic sometime, but the idea of, and everybody wrote it, everybody talked about it, we wrote it, we talked about it, the leadership of last year's team, all those fifth-year seniors, they, they, they stunted, and not, it's just one of those things, it was a little tree. There's a little tree in the forest, and the little tree is growing in the shadow of the great big Taekwon Lewis tree. And the great big Billy Price tree and the great big Sam Hubbard tree and the great big Salem Jalen Holmes tree and the very, very big J.T. Barrett tree. Yeah, that's a redwood. And the little Draymond Jones tree is a happy tree. It's a strong tree, but it's, it's hard. There's a lot of shadows. It's hard to peek through, right? And everyone likes the Draymond Jones tree, but they don't look at the Draymond Jones tree first. They look at the Taekwon Lewis tree. Look at the, and, and let me tell you, Taekwon Lewis tree... Great tree. Yeah. Great tree. But Mother Nature tells you to every season, a tree must fall. So, you know, there was a fire. And <laughs> like on the last weekend in April, and the JT Barrett tree and the Billy Price tree and the Sam Hubbard tree and the Jalen Holmes tree and the Taekwon Lewis tree, all of those are gone now. And so guess what? The shadows are gone, and the Draymond Jones tree is growing and flourishing. And it doesn't mean that the tree last year wasn't good. It just means that, that the shadows are gone. And sometimes when the shadows are gone, the little trees don't grow. This tree's growing, baby. Yeah, That tree grew against TCU. And so I think there are guys on this team. That was a long... I got to get out of the, the children's book business. Nobody wants to hear me write children's books. <laughs> Romance novels, yes. For the, sure. The, the, I, by the way, I think there was one that you said when we were delirious on Saturday night. Was it something about Eugene or something? There was one, or it might have been one before that. There was one that, like, I missed live. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I heard on the podcast and I was laughing to myself in the car and I was like, I missed this when he said this. You were like book thirty one. It was might have been something about something about something about in Eugene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Poor I Eugene. think these guys are growing up, and I think this I think this team is growing into itself as we expected it would. But what Dwayne Haskins and Draymond Jones and guys like that are doing is exactly what you thought they would do when given the opportunity to do it, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's just they didn't have the opportunity last year. So who are the other guys now? So that was the boring part of that conversation. Who are the other guys? Delete that part about the whole tree thing. <clears throat> Editor, delete the tree part. What are your other first rounders? Let's go deeper than the original question. Total eventual first rounders on this roster, because that's what people like to do. Someday they will look back on the 2017 Ohio. What year is it? 2018. It is? Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. They'll look back in the 2018 Ohio State team and say, wow, that team had blank first-rounders on it. Not that all went in 2019, but how many will they say? We want to talk about Haskins? We talk, Yeah, Dwayne Haskins, I think. So, Whether that's this year or next year. So we're talking about all the – we'll do the number first. We'll run – and then we can analyze okay. a little bit. Just, just okay, give so me I, your number okay, or so your guys. Oh, yeah. I have a hard time like projecting freshmen, but, so I don't have any, but we can go through them and you can, we can decide if we want to do it. So Haskins, uh, Dobbins, Chase Young. Uh, I'm still going to put down Okuda. I know he has not had, I think, um, maybe the start that people anticipated for him. It's his first year starting. He's a true sophomore. 
I think it could still happen. Like, Garyon Conley didn't have a great start. Or, yeah, Eli Apple didn't have a great start to his career. Garyon Conley didn't have a great start to his career. Marshawn Lattimore, Marshawn Lattimore did nothing. didn't get on the field for three years. He was hurt. But, like, these guys can turn the corner quickly. One good year. Point. Right. Um, so I still have him down. Um, I think if Michael Jordan wasn't playing center, I'd have him down. I'm, I'm, a, like, I'm hesitant to put him down because maybe his film is not all great this year while he's playing a new position and maybe that can knock him down a peg so i don't have i'm I'm not considering him and also just like an interior lineman can like be really good and be the 41st pick in the draft yeah yeah all the second round yeah Yeah. um and then the other one i had this is the the last one i had is thayer munford who is a starting left tackle at ohio state as a true sophomore um that's like a first round path if he if his progression sort of you know follows what we think it'll be yeah how about paris campbell I don't think so. I don't think I don't think he does enough to be. I think he I think he's an NFL player for sure. I think he can be a good NFL player. He's got great speed. I just don't know if he does enough to be a first round pick. I think there's one. I think there's one an obvious one that you're missing. Beyond, I I, I don't disagree with Paris Campbell. They they an are having one? they are having a hard time still figuring out getting Paris Campbell involved, which I just think is interesting. Um, I'm a little surprised. Yeah, obvious one. Unless you disagree on his NFL potential. I don't think you disagree on how good he is as a football player. Who? Jordan Fuller. Oh, I have his name written down and I didn't say it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I have him down here. Playmaker. Right? Like, playmaker. Football player. Like, just all around. But does he... He's he's big too. He's got good size. Like I, I I think about Von Bell, I guess, and how he was evaluated by the, Von Bell was a second round pick, right? Yep. Like a middle kind of a, like middle to late second round, I think. Or was he in the thirties? I'm trying to think if he was I always get confused by his draft position and Michael Thomas's draft yeah, position. Yeah, Michael Thomas was forty seven. I know that. I'm gonna consult Wikipedia. Sixty one. Okay. So late second round. Last pick of the second round? Yeah. Right? 61st overall in the second round for Von Bell. So, and like Von Bell was a very good, very productive college player. Uh, maybe like stood out a little more in college than Jordan Fuller has to this point, although I agree with you that Jordan Fuller is really good. So, I think there's definitely the potential and talent to be there, there to be a first round pick. And if he sticks around next year and is a third year starter at safety, I think that makes it even more likely that he could be a first rounder. I'm not. I'm not super certain coming out this year, and he is eligible this year if he'd be a first-rounder. Von Bell uh, was 5'11", 199. He was on the, so he was 61st overall, 63rd overall was the last pick of the second round that year. What did I just say? 5'11", 199. Jordan Fuller, 6'2", 204. Yeah, he's big. So I thought the one thing with Von Bell is that Von Bell was like a really good cover safety, hit, fast, little small. So Jordan Fuller is definitely bigger, rangier, rangier. I think I think Jordan Fuller, um, for lack of a better comparison, is like maybe maybe like talent plus skill set, like right in between Malik Hooker and Von Bell. Yeah, I think that's fair. Which is like right in between like the fifteenth pick and the sixty-first pick. Yeah, and like right in between like. Malik Hooker, who is like nobody has ever seen a college safety play like him in the last 10 years, and Vaughn Bell, who is like a really good player, um, which would put Jordan Bell like, Jordan Bell, Jordan Fuller like right at the end of the first round, right at the beginning of the second round. So yeah. we have plenty of time to discuss that, but I think, I think in that range, and then it's one of those things, like you said, 
like Nicholas Petit Frere might be a first rounder, and Teron Vincent might be a first rounder, but yeah. they haven't even Jerry played. Jerry Ruckert, I don't know. You know, like there's no. <clears throat> Who is the best? I'm asking the question now myself. Who's the best pro prospect among the receivers? Mm. Is it still definitely Paris, or do you see somebody? Like I, yeah, I, that's a good. Yeah, it's probably it's probably Paris. Paris, like, because Paris is just so explosive. Like I, I like KJ Hill a lot, and I think KJ Hill will get drafted at some point, maybe late in the draft. Whenever he comes out, he he could come out this year. He can come back next year if he wants to. Um, like I think he's a better receiver than Paris Campbell, but Paris Campbell is a better athlete, and I think the NFL would would covet the better athlete more. Okay. All right. So so. I'm going to I'm going to pin you down on this a little bit. We're going to continue. We haven't delved into this uh as much as some people right now. Um cuz there's just a lot going on with Ohio State and this is a very like interesting thing. Um but we're going to we're there's we're going to have plenty of time to deal with this. But like do you think Dwayne Haskins could wind up being in the conversation for forced first quarterback taken or wind up in like do you expect that he could be a first round pick this in the year, 2019 NFL draft. Um, I don't know. Like the 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 need of the of the NFL's need for quarterbacks, like leads me to believe that maybe not. Like I think it, I think this could be a year where there's no quarterback taken in the first round. I think that happened a couple years ago, right? Um. So like I. I don't know. I'm not, I'm looking at I'm looking at a CBS Sports thing right now. This guy Chris Trapasso is doing like a QB stock watch. Yeah, he does it every week apparently. And like Dwayne Haskins isn't on his list. Drew Locke from Missouri, Ryan Finley from NC State, Justin Herbert from Oregon, Will Greer from West Virginia, Tyree Jackson from Buffalo, uh, Jared Stidham from Auburn, and Jake Browning is his honorable mention. Like I would take Dwayne Haskins definitely over Jake Browning. I would take him over Stidham. I would take him over to kid from Buffalo, who's just like a big dude who's hard to bring down. I would take him over Will Greer. Uh, I would take him over Herbert. I would take him over Finley. I'm not certain I'd take him over Locke, but I could probably be convinced. Like I, th- I think Dwayne Haskins can become the best draft eligible quarterback in the country. Um, I just don't know if the need in the NFL necessitates taking a quarterback in the first round, especially if like the best guy is a guy who started for one year. And you think he projects really well, but you're a little uncertain about him. Maybe you just don't take him in the first round. The thing that's going to be interesting is is there are some people who who pound this a lot is the idea of that one year starter. And this this was a big conversation around Mitch Trubisky, who is a completely different style of quarterback from Dwayne Haskins. But but uh, Mitch Trubisky sat behind a, a veteran in North Carolina and, and started for one year, and then was the number two pick in the NFL draft. But but there are a lot of people who believe in the idea of of live reps against live defenses is an invaluable asset that when you're judging size and arm strength and processing speed and all those things, th- those reps factor into that a lot. Um, and there are people now as Mitch Trubisky, you know, Mitch Trubisky isn't looking like Patrick Mahomes and isn't looking like Deshaun Watson, the two quarterbacks who were taken after him in that draft. And some people are wondering about, like, man, is this is this a little bit of that catching up with him, just that he hasn't played that much? And it's not Dwayne Haskins' fault that he played behind JT Barrett. But I wonder, Dwayne Haskins is going to have a lot of really uh, good NFL advice, I think. Maybe yeah. more 
than the average college player because uh, he has relationships with people who have had long NFL careers. So I will be very curious, uh, even if he has the kind of year that would maybe warrant coming out, like, man, that guy's great. He's going to go in the first round. Would there be people around him who would believe, A, if you think maybe he'll go in the teens or the 20s or something right now, with another year, could he be in the mix for number one? And B, will he just, would he maybe give himself a leg up in his NFL career by having a second year of starting in college? That's not a thing. I'm always in favor of go. If you're a first round pick, go and get the money. You know what? You, you never know what's going to happen. People give guys a hard time. You should have stayed. But listen, it's you only get one shot at this uh, to try to set your family up for life. So most di- most guys do go. We have seen guys come back. That is an interesting conversation to me around the idea of those people in the NFL who believe a second year of starting does a college quarterback good and possibly Dwayne Haskins having people who might understand that idea and that it might not be... Sometimes a lack of knowledge can complicate a decision. I think, I think the 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 quantity of knowledge around Dwayne Haskins about that this decision could complicate it. If you know what I mean. Yeah, he's got he's got people in his life who are familiar with the NFL. Um, does that make any sense to you? It does. Stay it and does. get another year. On some level, it does. But I think you also have to like. We're talking about draft position. We're talking about money, right? We're talking about a difference of money. And if you think that you're going to be a first-round pick this year and you're going to be really anywhere in the first round, um, but then or you're weighing the option of coming back for 2020 when, like, Tua Tangavailoa is draft eligible and Jake Fromm from Georgia is draft eligible and Jacob Eason, who is a really highly touted recruit, um, who transferred to Washington and will be Washington starter next year, I'm assuming, after Jake Browning leaves. Like, he'll be draft eligible. Um, I think it's possible that the quarterback class in 2020 is a little stronger than this class coming out in 2019. And I think that gets weighed, too, when you're making the decision. But um, I am – I me, personally, and, like, I've never had to make a draft decision, and nor will I, unless my uh, children are very good at football, which I don't anticipate. Um, I am in favor of, like, striking while the iron's hot, go get your money – if you can go get it. And no, that's not to that's not to take a shot at any kid who decides to come back to college. It's your own personal decision. But I'm never going to fault somebody for going to try to get their money if they have the opportunity to do it. Just as a point of information, it's just a point. Baker Mayfield, number one pick, signed up basically a thirty, almost a thirty three million dollar contract. Josh Rosen, the number ten pick, his contract was seventeen and a half. That's a lot of millions. So you know, and all that's structured, all that's structured, we know in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference between going number one and going number 10. And so obviously the difference between going number one and going number 20 is even more that, that it's like, when do you think you have a better chance of going number one? Maybe you're less ready now, but if the quarterback class isn't as good and then you wait, I don't know. It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I think he's, I still believe he will have the kind of season that will bring all of this to the forefront of a discussion because he will have had a good enough season to go and be a first rounder. I agree. Is that what you're expecting from him? Yeah. Do you like him as an NFL prospect? I do like him as an NFL prospect. It, it's uh, He's calm. I think he's calm under pressure, and he has the arm to get the ball to all areas of the field and has some decent mobility. Um, I think he's smart, too. So, yeah, I think he checks a lot of boxes for the NFL. I don't, I don't know. 
Um, I don't even know what the negative on him would be at the moment. I, I mean, I think a functional mobility, I think, is the, is the one to me. And, and I've watched part of the TCU game. I still need to watch more of it. I'm just very interested in what he does when he's under pressure. And if it's just get rid of the ball, then okay. I mean, he is of that size. There's a lot of NFL quarterbacks, a lot of successful NFL quarterbacks around 6'3 or 6'4. Mm-hmm. He's 6'3. So he's that right size. A lot of those guys aren't super mobile. But, like, just what do you do when you get a little pressure? Yeah. And and he didn't. He only got sacked once against TCU, but he didn't. He got hit a few times. He didn't make a lot of plays. He just got rid of the ball, right? Mm-hmm. So, can you make plays under pressure? I think is what I'm very curious about. You know what else I'm curious about? Every week I'm curious about the selection at shopohiostate.com, the Ohio State University Barnes and Noble bookstore. And you know what I like? Right now I'm on their site. And it's easy to remember because it's shopohiostate.com. And what I did is I clicked on the giant button at the top of their page right now that said 25% off. And now I am paging through scores and scores of Nike stuff. So this is a 25% off Nike merchandise coupon. They have t-shirts. They have tank tops. They have caps upon caps upon caps. They have gym shorts. How valuable is it to have a good pair of gym shorts in your wardrobe? Uh, it's, I think it's the most important thing for any person alive. We're looking at the Fly XL 5.0 short. It's a scarlet short with an Ohio State logo. $38 normally marked down to $28.50 right now. I'm looking at a collection of cool long sleeve t-shirts. I'm looking at the night quarter sleeve. T. It's a gray T with a giant blocko on the back, a little blocko on the front uh, front pocket, if there was a pocket. Scarlet sleeves. That's $40 marked down to $30. I'm looking at uh, winter caps. I'm looking at workout shorts. I'm looking at sweatshirts. How can you not go there right now, shopohiostate.com, 25% off Nike stuff. I like it when they show you. It makes me feel good about my purchase. They have the original price with a line through it. And then they have the new price in red. So I'm looking at like this. uh, What am I looking at? There's so much to look at. I can't decide. The Nike Dry Fit Tank. It's a white tank top with a red block O. I'm looking $35 marked down to $26.25. I feel good about that purchase. They have jerseys in there. Nike Ohio State Youth Football Jersey. $55. Nope. Line through that. Marked down to $41.25. Do your Christmas shopping now. Get your kid a Nike Ohio State football jersey. Wide selection. You can certainly go into their store, the Barnes & Noble Ohio State University bookstore on High Street. Tremendous selection there. Beautiful store. But if you can't get to it, go right now. Shopohiostate.com. 25% off Nike stuff. Tell them your friends at Buckeye Talk sent you. And thanks to our friends at Barnes & Noble for sponsoring the Buckeye Talk podcast. All right, let's yell at people. Do you think this is an appropriate exercise, Bill Landis, to yell at people for their incorrect predictions? As someone who makes a lot of incorrect predictions, no. But let's do it anyway. <sighs> who are your playoff picks this year? Uh, Auburn. Okay. Which just lost to LSU. Uh, Washington, which lost to Auburn. Uh, Ohio State, looking good there. And Washington. No, I said Washington yeah. already. And Al- uh, Clemson? Clemson, Clemson, Clemson. No Alabama. No Alabama. No uh, no team that's currently winning games by an average score of 80-3. to three. Yeah. 
So uh, we promised this on the last uh, podcast to call out the people uh, who picked Wisconsin to make the college football playoff. And here's why I'm comfortable calling out people um, as someone who is constantly wrong. The reason that I'm comfortable doing it this time is because this time I was right. (laughs) And all these people who thought Wisconsin was a national title contender, it was just faulty thinking, right? Now, you can say the same to me because I picked Michigan in the playoff. And what has Michigan ever shown since 1997 that would make you believe Michigan's a playoff team? (laughs) Nothing, right? Nothing. But at least what I was doing with Michigan was basing my Michigan pick on something new. I was basing a Michigan playoff pick on them adding something they haven't had before, which is competent quarterback play under Jim Harbaugh. So that is a line of thinking, right? They added something they haven't had before. I feel like the Wisconsin pick, if you liked Wisconsin, you were just picking Wisconsin because they're more Wisconsin-y than ever. (laughs) They're pretty much who they've been, right? But the best version of who they are. It's not like they added a five-star quarterback. They're a run-heavy team with a decent tailback, a big offensive line, an okay quarterback, and people thought their defense would be good, right? Yeah. But they're still Wisconsin. Do you understand the, the, the different the way those are two separate lines of thinking? Or am I just parsing things to make myself sound better and make the cheeseheads sound worse? I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think yeah. it does too. Yeah. So you're betting on it's just like it's like with twenty percent more cheddar. <laughs> so if you get if you go to the grocery store and you normally buy Oreos because you're like Alabama. This is actually the kind of exercise we would exactly do on Buckeye Talk. Compare college football programs to snacks, right? So if Alabama's the Oreos, Oreos are always good. Oreos are always good. Now. Cheez-Its are pretty good, Mm -hmm. but just because, and what's Ohio State? All right, if Alabama's Oreos, my God, this is going to be a Twitter thing. If Alabama's Oreos and Wisconsin is Cheez-Its, what's Ohio State? Uh, Like a a Chips Ahoy? Like a Chips Ahoy, all right? So you like Oreos and you like Chips Ahoy. And you like Cheez-Its, but nobody likes Cheez-Its as much as Oreos and Chips Ahoy. So if Cheez-Its all of a sudden says... 20% 20% more cheddar. Would that make you think, oh, well, before I didn't think that little square cheese crackers were as good as a delicious cookie. But now that they're cheesier, now I think they're better than Oreos. No. That's what you thought. Now they're better than Chips Ahoy. They're just 20% more cheese. They didn't add M&Ms into the Cheez-Its. <laughs> it's still just cheese. So you were fooled by 20% more cheddar. And here are the people who were fooled. <laughs> On ESPN, two people picked Wisconsin to win the national championship. 50% more cheese. Egregious. You know who one of them is? Lee Corso. <laughs> Lee Corso bought in, and you know what? They had a 20%, they had a 20 cent coupon. Lee Corso was like, well, it's 50% more cheese instead of 329, it's 309. Give me 100 boxes. That's poor shopping, Lee Corso. Lee Corso and Myron Metcalf 
both picked Wisconsin to win the national championship. Also picking Wisconsin for the playoff, Reese Davis, Sean McDonough, John Vilma, Ryan McGee, Mark Schlebaugh, Dusty Dvorak, Dan Orlovsky, Andrea Adelson, Andre Ware, Mitch Sherman, David Hale, Ivan Mazel, and Chris Dorsey. Wrong! CBS Sports people who picked Wisconsin for the playoff. Chip Patterson and Dennis Dodd. Wrong. Sports Illustrated, I think seven people made picks. Six of them picked Wisconsin in the playoff. Sports Illustrated, 40% more cheddar. Andy Staples, Joe Neeson, Lakin Lippman, Scooby Axon, Max Munger, and Eric Siegel. I don't know. We love Andy Staples. I don't know who Scooby Axon is. That's not... That's not a, that's not to say that anyone knows who we are. We're yeah. just not named Scooby. That's not an affront. Is that a god? Is that a given name, or is that just every kid who likes Scooby Doo growing up gets the nickname Scooby for their byline? Are you going to look I, this? I up I like Scooby Doo growing up. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So so we called those people out, and also now I'm also going to. Oh call- great! Now we're he's an army vet we're, for real. We're old. <laughs> Yeah, take it back. He's oh, a, is it like an army nickname? Maybe. Oh, in know. combat hero. He's like a, he's like a military hero. We're making fun of him. Are name. you serious? He's yes, a military hero. Yes, he's uh, writer for SINow.com. Uh, Columbia. Apparently, he is in the military and went to Columbia Journalism School. What the so hell? We're who, pieces of trash. Who are we? <laughs> so Scooby Axon, we'll invite him on the podcast to scream at us and then beat the living daylights out of us want, No, I just want him, I want to live in anonymity and he'll never hear this. Don't tweet no, it out. No, he's going to hear it. Andy Staples is going to tell him. Great. Andy Staples. Andy Staples, you can tell Scooby if you want. Tell him that we're jerks because that's also a fact. God, he was in the army for real? Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine being a sports writer who was in the military? No, I'm a wuss. I am such a wuss. You know what we can do? We can edit that part out. Let's not do it. No. Editor, take out the part about the trees and the Scooby part. Uh, people who picked Michigan to win, the national, to win the national championship, Desmond Howard is the only person who picked Michigan to win the national championship. Marty Smith, Dan Orlovsky, Cole Kubelik, Rod Gilmore, Todd Blackledge, and me all picked Michigan to make the playoffs. So I'm simultaneously calling us out because Michigan also lost. Michigan just didn't happen to lose at home to BYU. So BYU is pretty good, though. No, you ranked them. So before we get into uh, all your Ohio State questions, as promised, we now are going to deliver back-to-back Andy Staples, one of the finest college football writers in America for Sports Illustrated and SI.com. He is a person who is, uh, has a wide variety of interests. He has written Sports Illustrated cover stories. He played college football far more accomplished than we are. We called him on the phone and said, why in God's name did you pick Wisconsin? And then we will immediately follow it up with Ryan McGee, part of a phenomenally successful podcast with Marty Smith. Ryan McGee and Marty Smith were in a blimp for a football game. Mm-hmm. That's how successful they are. Phenomenally successful. This guy is a multi-sport writer. He does NASCAR. He does college football. He has a variety of expertise. He's as a opposed great writer. To, as opposed to us who have barely one expertise. Mm-hmm. Yet, that did not prevent us from calling up Ryan McGee and saying, Ryan McGee, how in God's name did you make a pick to put Wisconsin in the playoff? So enjoy Andy Staples and Ryan McGee trying to explain themselves. Then we'll be back with your questions on Buckeye Talk. 
All right, joined by the great Andy Staples, one of America's finest uh, sports writers and barbecue eaters, Andy Staples of Sports Illustrated. Thank you for your time, sir. How you doing? Doing well. Andy Staples, I am going to start this conversation by giving you credit for a conversation that I remember very distinctly in 2014 – uh, no, 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 no. In 2012, I was I had this wrong. In 2012, you were at the game when Ohio State beat Michigan State in East Lansing. And after that game, you said they're going undefeated. And I thought you were crazy. And you were right. Do you remember that conversation? And, or do you remember being right oh, I, about... I, I remember because I, I wrote the following Monday that the rest of the Big Ten is completely screwed. Because they didn't have anybody who understood what a national championship caliber team looked like. And Urban Meyer did understand that. And it was going to be a problem. And as you saw, it, it, it was a problem, really, until James Franklin showed up. So you understood, you, and you recognized that because you saw Urban Meyer at Florida, and you understood... I was a beat writer, yeah. I, I covered Ronsoff last year and Urban Meyer's first three years as a beat writer. And it, it, you, can, you can just tell what one of those teams looks like. And there weren't any of those teams in the Big Ten at that time. Right. Ohio State wasn't one of those teams, to be honest with you. I, it's funny because you know that team did go undefeated. I think they're probably happy they didn't go any further because they couldn't. Yeah. Uh, because they would have been exposed. I mean, the, the the guys who were there will tell you a lot of that was smoke, mirrors, and Braxton Miller. Yep. And they did a phenomenal job getting the most out of that group. And then you saw them. Because class of two thirty class of two thousand thirteen, that's a national championship class. That's a class that comes in and helps you win a national title. And they were they were in there. And so this leads us to the point today, Andy Staples, as someone who recognizes national championship caliber teams when you see them, why in God's name did you pick Wisconsin to make the playoff this year? Because I didn't look at what they lost on defense. I didn't look close enough at what they lost on defense. I, I just assumed, hey, they've done this with three different defensive coordinators. They've done it with a, a different rotating cast of characters. They're going to be as good on defense as they have been. And if you dig a little deeper into it, they're just not. Personnel-wise, they're just not there. But I will I will say I'm a little surprised that folks who cover Ohio State are calling about this because I seem to remember another Big Ten team in 2014 <laughs> making a surprising upset at home and everybody writing them off. <laughs> everybody except, oh, wait, oh, me! <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what he's referencing, Landis. Do you have a question? I don't, Andy, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm sorry. I don't remember that. <laughs> no, it, it does, but it, but it does. Well, it's interesting because I'm thinking back to that, that Virginia Tech-Ohio State game. It doesn't really feel different than it did then. We didn't know how good Ohio State was going to become. Right. But I'm not sure I see that kind of turnaround for Wisconsin. I'm just messing with you guys. I'm actually probably going to pick Iowa this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Andy, when you, when you were looking at this and, and trying to make your picks, and, and I picked Washington to be in the playoff too. I'm going to be wrong, and I'm always wrong. Uh, I didn't have Alabama in the playoff, so just to give you an idea. Either does Andy. Either does Andy. Exactly. When you were looking at Wisconsin, what did you think of Hornerbrook and his ability to get a team to the playoff and maybe something more? I, I affectionately refer to Alex Hornerbrook as Noodle Arm, and I know he's he's developed well, as a see, passer. See, I watched the Orange Bowl. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The, the Orange Bowl, Bowl changed my mind like a little bit. He looks like a different guy. He did. And remember, 
this is those picks were made when no one knew about Quintez Cephas, mm-hmm. and no one knew Danny Davis was going to be suspended and, yep. and all that. I was thinking they're coming in with the deepest receiving core they've ever had, a couple guys who can take the top off of defense and that offensive line, and Jonathan Taylor. If you told me that the, the take-the-top-off-a-defense guy wasn't going to be there, I'd probably make a different pick. Yeah. All right, Andy, we'll let, we'll, we'll let you get back to your life. But before we go, what is your evaluation right now of Ohio State after three games? And as someone who understands what good Urban Meyer teams look like, what does this Ohio State team look like to you? I've been waiting for Dwayne Haskins to become a starter since he signed. Because this is the guy that the people I know there told me they were the most excited about. And I, I just I thought, okay, once this dude is the starting quarterback, that offense is really going to open up. And it sure looks like it has. Um, I think Haskins and his skill set actually will probably keep Urban Meyer away from one of his fallbacks that actually tends to hurt him sometimes. And that's when he has a quarterback who can run, he tends to over-rely on that person to carry the run game. Uh, you saw it with Tim Tebow, you saw it with J.T. Barrett. When they had to play Cardell Jones, they didn't, they couldn't, couldn't fall back on that. So they had to feed Zeke. In this case, they have to feed Weber and Dobbins. And I think that's going to help them out. That's going to, that will help them avoid a game like 2015 Michigan State. Because they won't just say, well, I trust the quarterback, and he's really the only person I trust, and so we're just going to run him. So I think, I think that's going to make that a healthier offense and a more probably a much tougher offense to stop because defensively, you know they're not going to fall back into that trap. Yep. So if, I, if, I, if I'm a defense coordinator playing at Ohio State, I just – I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray – I can get Haskins and maybe try to make him make a mistake. Yeah. Because if he if he gets the ball away with time and he can just hand off to those dudes, there's not really anybody who can stop him. No, and, that, and that's that's a kind of urban offense that we haven't really seen on that level before. It's going to be very interesting. I lied. One last question. How good can Joe Burrow and LSU really be, Andy Staples? They can be pretty good. I don't, I don't see them taking down Alabama. Um, you know, I think Burrow is a, a pretty good quarterback. I mean, if they were telling the truth in Ohio State about how close he, they said he was to Haskins, then I have a suspicion he's a pretty darn good quarterback. Um, he does not have the protection that he would have had at Ohio State. Uh, they're just not as good up front as Ohio State is, but they're good enough. And you know, he's he's more mobile, I think, than they realized. And so he can get himself out of some trouble and. You know, if you look at the, the games he's played so far, his completion percentage isn't that great, but there have been a ton of drops. If his receivers start catching the ball, it's in pretty good shape. So I, I said before the season I thought LSU was going to be about what they were last year, about a nine-win team. I may revise that up to ten because I didn't didn't think they'd beat Auburn. But nine, nine ten wins seems about right for them. Andy Staples from Sports Illustrated and SI.com. Thank you for taking time out of your day. And just so you know, I picked Michigan for the playoff, and they lost in the first <laughs> week. So 
You never Listen, know, man. Everybody still has a chance, Doug. Everybody. They do. And when when, when Wisconsin makes the playoff, we will call you back, and you can <laughs> say whatever you want to us, man. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to hear from you again. <laughs> like I said, I'm probably picking Iowa this week. Andy Staples, we'll talk to you later, man. See ya. All right, we just got done yelling at Andy Staples of SI.com for his Wisconsin pick and now joined by another fantastic sports writer who fell into the Badger trap, Ryan McGee of ESPN and the Marty and McGee podcast, which is one of the funnest um, experiences that your ears can ever have. Ryan, we love your work. We hate your Wisconsin pick. Why did you do that? Well, you know, I forgot that Staples picked them too. I, I need to... I need to go back through my calendar. There might have been a night where Staples and I got drunk and decided this is what we're going to do. But I don't remember. No, I listen. I love Jonathan Taylor. Um, I like Paul Christ, and not just because if he shrunk a little bit, he'd look just like me. Uh, but I also like the I like their schedule. I mean, they're coming out of the right division. Um, I still think they could they could end up in Indianapolis, uh, although it might not matter. And it's uh, yeah. So so. You know, I didn't know that all of a sudden BYU was going to remember how to play because uh, I, I looked at that schedule and I thought, all right, you know, that's a game they scheduled be years ago and thought it was going to be a good matchup at the time. And BYU just came off their worst season like since before Lavelle Edwards got there. And now here we are and I'm on the phone with you boys. <laughs> hey, uh, Ryan, this is Bill Landis. Um, when you're when you're making that pick, obviously Wisconsin is the best team in the West. There, I think there's no question about that. So you you, yeah. you assume they're going to get there. What what gave you confidence? I guess that they could beat an Ohio State or a Michigan or a Penn State or whoever whoever you thought was coming out of the East in the Big Ten title game. Well, it, I mean, I, I'll be totally honest with you. When when he, when the ESPN.com bosses sent us the email and said uh, make your pick, I think I initially had Ohio State down. And then I believe it was the next day is when I don't know if you guys are aware, but there's been some controversy mm. with Urban Meyer. Yeah, no, what happened? Yeah, you, yeah, you might want to look into that. Okay. But, but no, but 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 that happened like literally the day we received the email. What's your pick? And so I gave it a couple of days, and the thing just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And and all I could think was, you know, I don't have a lot of confidence in Michigan. Um, I, I like Penn State, but I, I, they still are very good at losing one they shouldn't lose or, or losing momentum at some point. And I just thought maybe this thing would get so big. And at the time, I didn't know who the head coach was going to be yeah. once the season started. And, and so, I, so honestly, I think if I had if I had sent the email in the day before, uh, I would have had Ohio State as the pick. But with all that that suddenly started happening and got so much bigger, so much faster than anybody expected. Uh, I crossed out Ohio State and I put another team in there. All right, Ryan McGee, as a as an observer of uh, of human nature and of college football, three games in now, seeing Ohio State, what is your view from afar of the Buckeyes and what you think of them now as a national championship contender? No, I didn't think anything of them, to be honest with you, the first couple of weeks because I just didn't think it was worth their time. And then uh, I thought what they did on Saturday was outstanding. Because I have, uh, if you ask me to sit down and list five coaches that I can, if I got a fantasy draft, Gary Patterson at TCU is on my list. I, I, I think he's a fantastic football coach. I knew they would be prepared. You know, that was uh, that was a home game for those guys when I mean, you you're there, and uh, and the fact that they were able to take care of business in that game against TCU 
suddenly I'm a believer, and uh, and I wasn't before. And, and to do it, um, you know, obviously without the head coach there and, and knowing that he was coming around, and with all that still going on, um, for them to take care of business in the way that they did it, um, I, that that I was completely impressed, and they hadn't done much to impress me before that. Ryan McGee, you guys seem like you have fun, you and Marty, but is it honestly a nightmare working with Marty Smith? Just be honest. Well, it's just, I mean, just the, the hair alone, <laughs> I have to just sit there for like an hour, you know. <laughs> but he, try, he tries to tell everyone that it's, it's easy and there's not that much product in it. I've known Marty for 20 years. I knew Marty when he and Delon Hart Jr. both had the same, like, frosted tip, <laughs> like, Caesar cut thing going on and that's how i've known marty 20 years old, so i know marty puts more time in his hair than he's willing to admit and so yeah so it's just you, i mean you got when you're working with the with the diva you just hang on to the to the coattails like like you're riding water skis and just you know i just let him take me where we're gonna go ryan mcgee you are also the author of the bottom 10 for college football um i think that's such a fun piece do you ever worry about um the line between um, being fun and having fun and being too mean because I worry about that line sometimes because I make I make yeah. fun of bad teams. How do you how do you handle that? Well, the, the, my rule is I don't pick on players. Yep, don't do it. You know, even if a quarterback goes out there and, and is two for twenty five with, with two interceptions, I'm not going to single that person out. You know, I'm just not. You know, it, we'll, we'll go after coaches all day long. They make plenty of money. They can take it. They're grown ups. And we talk big picture, but but to me, the big thing is we just don't pick on the kids. And I've been doing this for five years now, and the most pleasant surprise to me has been most of the schools and most of the players play along. Yeah. It was, I think it was two, two years ago, New Mexico State snapped like a, I mean, it's like a two-year home losing streak. And they're celebrating in the locker room, and the SID sent me an email. He goes, you need to know that while everybody was dancing around, the quarterback looked at me and said, do you think this will get us out of the bottom ten? <laughs> and he said it joking. So so it, it, the people that are kind of in on it, which is most everyone, uh, we have a good time. There have been some uncomfortable moments uh, if I get on an airplane and the coach is there or whatever. But for, for the most part, every, everybody's on board. But, yeah, don't, you don't pick on the kids. But I will pick on coaches all day long, and I think we all do. Ryan McGee, love your work. Uh, love the stuff you do with Marty. Um, just just had to quibble with the Badgers pick, but it seems like uh, you have enough on the good side of the ledger, man, that we still believe in you as a person, and you can bounce back from this, Ryan, okay? Don't let it get you down. Well, I'm coming to Columbus sometime over the next few days, whether it's the game on Saturday or whether it's for the pressers Monday and Tuesday, and, and uh, let's hug it out, boys. All right, sounds good. <laughs> Ryan McGee of ESPN, thanks for your time, man. We'll see you soon. Thank you, guys. All right, see ya. All right, thanks to Andy Staples and Ryan McGee for playing along with our shenanigans, but also they did pick Wisconsin and they deserve that. Bill Landis, Doug Lamarie's back. You know what else is back? Minuteman Tickets is back because they're always there for you when you need tickets to something. For instance, Bill Landis, if you wanted to go to see Urban Myers return to the sideline, a historic moment in Ohio State football, you can tell your kids... Well, they might go with you. You can tell your grandkids that you were there the day that Urban Meyer returned to the sideline. How much might that cost you at Minuteman Tickets, Bill? Uh, between seventy and a hundred dollars. Still a lot of tickets there. Only a few. There's one left at seventy. A couple in the high seventies. Bunch in the eighties. Um, quite a few below a hundred dollars. So act now. Act now. And here's the thing: if you buy those tickets, 
You can feel good about it. Why? Because Minuteman tickets will stand beside you. Ooh, you can get a club seat for four hundred. Really? That's not bad. Once in a, I mean, like, just splurge, right? For a birthday or something? Yeah, you might Spl- see us. Splurge. Um, MinutemanTickets.com. They're a Columbus-based ticket broker that, that it stands behind their product. You can buy from them with 100% faith, but they have tickets to everything. So we're telling you about Ohio State Tulane. I bet you can get tickets for Ohio State Penn State the next week. Oh, I just closed the window, man. I'll look it up. You keep vamping. They have concert tickets there's always concerts going on in cincinnati and cleveland and columbus you know this is there's there's people who come to ohio ohio very popular state if you want to go to a concert check minuteman tickets they're going to have options for you theater experiences check minuteman tickets also if you're going if you want to go to a different sporting event somewhere else not in ohio check minuteman tickets they are invested in the community they are a local Broker with a national selection, MinutemanTickets.com. Make our ticket guys your ticket guys. MinutemanTickets.com. Yeah, there's Penn State tickets on there. They're, they're expensive. That's to be expected. They're expensive. That's a big game. Yeah. But 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 the, you, can, you know you're getting it from a good source. And here's the thing. is, If you're trying to go to that game, you know you're going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. The question is, can you get – are there tickets available? Yes. And can you have faith in your purchase? Yeah. Yes. So that's what they're giving you. Do you want to get to the game? It's going to cost. If you're going to go see Ohio State, Penn State, it's going to cost you, right? For sure. But if you're going to do it, you you want to be able to buy the tickets with a good feeling in your heart and not butterflies in your stomach that something's going to get screwed up. So go to Minuteman Tickets and you'll get, you'll get those feelings. Same feelings you get from listening to Buckeye talk. Yeah. Shaq Harrison at Harrison Shaq. Ohio State hasn't gotten a commitment in what seems like forever. When will it start to pick up? So this is a good time, thank you, Shaq, to reset the Ohio State recruiting at the moment based off what has happened with Urban Meyer. And for those who didn't read, and I hope you did, um, why don't you explain a little bit, Bill, also what Urban Meyer said when asked on Monday about the idea of damage to the Ohio State program, which also is potential damage to the recruiting machine of Ohio State yeah. as a result of all this. Yeah, he, he he said that it would be basically naive to think that, that some damage had not been done. Um, he said that he's been in a lot, a lot of contact with commits, uh, potential recruits, current players, their families. To and I'm assuming he's telling them what he told us, and, and we know his message by now. We don't have to rehash it. Um, but there is damage control to be done. To what extent, I, I don't think is clear yet. Um, I wrote a story before Urban came back uh, about how they sort of recruited ar- recruited around this uncertainty. Talked to a couple guys in, in 2019, a couple guys in 2020, um, some other people around the program. And most of them, all of them, all of them were, were very confident that one – they made it through it okay in terms of keeping guys. They lost one commit in Kane Patterson. We've talked about him before. And I think they feel pretty good about how they're positioned moving forward. Uh, the last commitment was Cormonte Hamilton in 2019. The last commitment was Cormonte Hamilton, who's a three-star tight end from Memphis. He committed on July 27th. So, what was that? Just a few days, I guess, before all this happened. Um, and they haven't had one since then. That, that's not surprising to me that they haven't had one. I, I think... I think you could see some impact from this on the 2019 class, 
only because there's like there's less time to sort of mend relationships that need mending and less time to get your message out when these kids can sign in December. I'm less concerned about 2020 because of how strongly they've started with that class, how firmly committed everyone seems to be, how close that group of players is in the recruiting that they're doing in their own right, let alone the programs. Um, I just think this 2019 class is a little different uh, from that 2020 group. So maybe you see Ohio State take a hit in 2019. The class at the moment is is ranked uh 15th in the country third in the Big 10 which is not what you're used to with Ohio State and it might play end up playing out that way I'll be curious to see if they can pull out you know the late five star they've been able to pull out if they can re- regain some momentum with this class um but I'm not overly concerned um not surprised at all they haven't had a commitment um I think you'll see that coming. You'll see it coming with visits. The other thing about it, too, and I, I want to write a story about this, and maybe we've written about it in the past, like the schedule's not great. Um, and how that affects. And how that affects, like, who comes and, and when they come to take official visits. Like, the best home game is the Michigan game, and we all know when that is. And before then, there's not really a great one. They play at Penn State. They play at Michigan State. The TCU game was not here. But the second best home game might be Nebraska. Um and we don't know, I think a couple of years ago, Nebraska at night was, was a big recruiting night for them because the schedule kind of played out in a similar fashion. So I would not be too worried if you don't see a lot of official visitors coming. I think part of that could be what happened with Urban, but I think another part of it is the way the schedule plays out. But one thing of, of note that is happening this week, um, and I guess should make you feel pretty good about about the trajectory of Ohio State recruiting, is Brian Breesey, who's the number one player in the class of 2020. He's a defensive end from Maryland. He's coming to visit this weekend. He's coming to visit Ohio State again. He's been here a couple times before for Urban Meyer's return. And I don't think it's a coincidence that those two things are syncing up. So um, I think you can take that as a sign that that while maybe some relationships need repairing, not all of them do. Certainly not all of them do. And uh, I, think they'll, I think they'll be okay moving forward. I've said that before. It's just a slow time of year, one... Like a lot of things converge, like dead period and this uncertainty with Urban and like a crappy schedule for official visits all kind of converged, I think, to slow things down a little bit. It is an interesting idea. <clears throat> they recruit year-round. Mm-hmm. But obviously, I mean, you know, during the football season, they're trying to win football games. The early signing period, when is it again now? December, December, December something. December something, yeah. In an old calendar... Where you could not sign officially with anybody until the first Wednesday in February. When the season ended, you had all that Oh, it's time. my birthday, the 19th. Congratulations. What yeah. a great day that will be for you. Tell yeah. Leah you can't go to dinner on your birthday. I turned 30 this year. You turned 30 on National Signing Day? Yeah. That's sad, bro. I know. I know. Wow. <laughs> Bunch of teenagers will be changing their lives and you'll just be <laughs> treading water as a 30-year-old. <laughs> same old, same old for Bill Landis. Yeah. Writing about the interesting things happening to other people <laughs> while you eat Burger King on your birthday. Uh, Glad you're here at Cleveland.com, Bill Landis. Yeah. <laughs> so does this make any sense to you, the idea of when you had something weird happen, right? Right at the beginning of the season like this. You would have had all of January and the last and one week in February for makeup time. In the past. Like, if you thought anything was goofy, we can just show you how much we love you. And if you have any questions, we can do nothing but explain things to you. But at the moment, the goofy thing happened. We'll still talk to you, but by the way, we're trying to win football games. And now you can decide into December. Yeah. Is there any possibility that, like, this, that shorter window, 
whenever anything doesn't go perfectly, the shorter window amplifies the bump, makes the speed bump higher because the road's not as long. Yeah, that actually be a really interesting question to ask Urban, and you should ask him that on Monday. Actually, it's asking after the two lane game because who cares? They're playing two lane. Yeah, um, but no, that, yeah, that's what I was getting at. I think that's true. I just think there's 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 less. Urban can call kids, and kids can call Urban, and they can talk to the assistant coaches, and all that's happened, and then they'll go on the road to high school games, they'll have the bye week, and they'll do some recruiting in the bye week, but like, the month of January, I think, gave you a lot of time for more personal connection, Yep. and yeah, that's gone now. It's not gone totally, but it's gone to a certain, to a substantial extent now with this December signing period, so I think that's true. And, it's, and again, just like with anything, it's just like with voting. Right? There's a lot of things that happen if you change voting rules and whatever. Democrats are still going to vote Democrat and Republicans are still going to vote Republican. But it's the people on the fence who, A, swing elections, Mm -hmm. but B, are affected more by everything. So it's those kids who could go either way. You're still going to get the kids who loved Ohio State and wanted to go to Ohio State no matter what. And you're still not going to get the kids who are... We're just going to go to Texas or go to Alabama or go to Michigan or whatever, right? Yeah. But those kids in between who were thinking about Ohio State but have a lot of other good options and, oh, man, this thing got a little weird. Now they're playing their season. You're playing their season. They just sort of have this maybe, possibly, and it's not that they've eliminated Ohio State. I don't think they're right. They're not getting eliminated by kids, but I think it's possible. And those can be the kids. Whether you get those two or three top 50 kids who are on the fence, that makes a determination whether your recruiting class is ranked second in the country or seventh in the country. Yeah. And that's where you might, and you may never even be able to determine that it is an effect because they will never maybe exactly say it, but we're going to, it's going to be very curious to see how uh, the kids that you thought they'd never get, right? I think this class might be full with a lot of really good kids, but maybe it won't have as many. I can't believe they got that guy. Because the I can't believe they got that guy just might go to Georgia. So, Landis, do you think people will notice the two-hour break we just took? No, I don't think so. Not through the magic of editing. All right, don't tell them anything. Okay. We actually had to edit this podcast because news happened. Like three things happened in the middle. So go read at Cleveland.com. It happened on Wednesday afternoon. Not huge, giant stuff, just some stuff. Money stuff. Go read at Cleveland.com. All right, back to more questions. Uh, there was a there was a start time question that I kind of found interesting. Uh, was it the one about them playing in the afternoon here and playing at night at Beaver Stadium all the time? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting too. What do you What do you think about three thirty Tulane on the Big Ten Network for Urban Meyer's return? Everett K. Ross the second. It's underscore A underscore Mario 151. Why do we keep getting these crap games scheduled at 3.30 like Tulane and Rutgers? They should be at noon so they can be out of the way and we as fans can get on with our day. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, I guess it, like, it depends on who else is playing. Uh, more people are going to watch Ohio State play anybody than watch like Indiana play anybody other than Ohio State. So they'll throw that game at noon and put Ohio State at 3.30? So the the problem comes in with the definition of crap game. Yeah. So there are two noon games on the Big Ten Network. One is Minnesota-Maryland, which actually might be a competitive game, but yeah. nobody cares. 
no offense to the people who live in Minnesota and Maryland, two Big Ten teams that are joined. They play, I think, for the M Trophy. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, winner gets to leave the Big Ten. Winner, winner gets to leave, and then Missouri and Montana yep. also are playing for the right to join the Big Ten, so they keep up their M teams. Uh, the other noon game is Buffalo Rutgers. And again, ooh, Rutgers is going to lose the Buffalo after losing to Kansas. In the definition of crap games, you just have to have your crap context. That might be a. Uh, I'm going to speculate wildly. That might be a Chris Ash gets fired game if they lose. Oh yeah, yeah. Steve Politi will make sure yeah. of that. Those are your noon games. The Michigan State at Indiana is the 7:30 game, and so Tulane Ohio undefeated State, Indiana undefeated Indiana. That's why that's prime time. That's why Ohio oh, State yeah. Tulane's not in prime time because right. Indiana's undefeated. And so Tulane Ohio State is your 3:30 game. So I, I do think, and this is probably something that might be worth a story, but there's too many other things to write about. So the fact that Fox Sports is now more vastly involved with the Big Ten programming. Yep. You have more windows on more networks. Because before it used to feel like there was the ABC ESPN stuff. And so they had to fill out their stuff. And then the leftover crap went on the Big Ten network. But now... Fox Sports is much more of a player, both with Fox Sports and FS1. So Fox Sports and FS1 are like trying to fill out full schedules. ABC and ESPN and ESPN2 are trying to fill out full, fill out full schedules. The Big Ten Network's trying to fill out full schedules. So there's just more slots. So there's not. I don't. I don't feel like there's as many Big Ten games just like lumped at noon. You know. Yeah. And Ohio State again. The crap context is. If Ohio State's involved, it's not a crap game. Not to the Big Ten Network, it's not. Not to programmers. I'm surprised this isn't more played up. I thought it was surprising that this got put on the Big Ten Network. It's Urban Meyer's return. Yeah, but it wasn't when they when they divvied up the games. So it didn't get it didn't get a high enough draft slot to be on ESPN two or FS one. Yeah, I think I, the way I understand it is like they go back and forth, and Fox has first pick, but like. Who's fighting over Ohio State versus Tulane? Right, and the Big Ten Network gets a slice of that pie somehow. So I'm not, I'm not surprised at all. I think it's, Big Ten Network just got lucky. Okay, um, that could be. I, uh, but it's just I mean it's just the way it is. But do you? I think we've already said I hate three thirty games. Three thirty games are the worst. The worst of ha- both worlds. Yeah, because you have if it's, if it's a noon game, you have your whole day afterward. If it's a night game, you have your whole day beforehand. Right. So yeah, three thirty is awful. RJR1818 is Buckeye Talk becoming part of the narrative? Examples. First, raising the idea of moving Michael Jordan to center. Second, Doug's many questions to Urban in Chicago. You have owned the Michael Jordan story. Do you think you're the reason? I mean, to be fair, Tim, Tim May is the one who asked about it at Big Ten Media. Hey, uh, but he asked about it because he listens to Buckeye Talk. It must be it. Yeah. yeah. No, I, mean, I wasn't the only one who thought, who thought it. But. Do you think that ever happens that like, a reporter says, hey, have you thought about moving Michael Jordan to center? And they go, huh, that's actually not a bad idea. Uh, maybe. I'll have to ask. That would be a great story to ask coaches about. Have you guys ever gotten ideas from the media how to run your team? I mean, you asked Ryan Day about throwing deep balls, and then they threw 90 of them against Rutgers. So. I also asked about playing Tate Martell in the fifth series, and how'd that go? That's true. I am not part of the narrative uh, asking everyone questions. We just, we just do our job. 
What's your biggest worry looking ahead to Ohio State? Penn State, for me, it's safety play opposite of Jordan Fuller. That's from Nate M, NM underscore CBUS. And this has now opened the door on the 20-minute conversation that we have already had pre-podcast about what is up with the safeties. And I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Bill Landis, begin. Yeah, I don't even know, I don't even know how to like organize it. Um, Get a pen! Pull over. Don't listen to this one while driving. We know that you're paying attention to the road, but this is very complicated. Get a pen and a scrap piece of paper and get ready to draw some football diagrams. Do you, do you have a pen? Don't, don't get a pen. I got a ticket for holding my phone at a red light. Don't, don't write down diagrams while you're driving. Okay. Um, don't be distracted, but pay attention. So I was talking with Jordan Fuller on Tuesday, like trying to get a better idea of how Ohio State can like approach this safety thing. And this will make me sound uh, ignorant to some people who know X's and O's football better than I do. Um, and I know I know some. Um, I just asked him because I wanted to be sure. I was like, I think Jordan Fuller is playing a different position than he played last year. So I asked him and he said, yeah. Last year he was the boundary safety and Damon Webb was the field safety. And this year Jordan Fuller is the field safety. And Jocelyn Wint and Isaiah Pryor are like rotating at the boundary safety job. Um, and the okay, reason. So, what does field and boundary mean, first of all? Boundary is short side of the field, field is wide side of the field. Often, how like the ball's not right in the middle. Yes. There's less room to operate on the boundary, more room to operate on the field. Yes. Which often also means like if a team is three wide, they often might have two wide receivers on the field side and one on the boundary side, correct? Not always. Correct. Not always. Um, okay. But, yeah. So, and then Jordan Fuller said, like, I'm the field safety, which means I play a little more man-to-man than I did last year. Because uh, the, the the boundary safety operates more like a strong safety. Right? Or, sorry. The boundary <laughs> safety operates more like a free safety. And the field safety operates more like a strong safety. And 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 what that kind of means, field safety also equates to... Free safety. No, you said field safety. We meant yeah. to say free safety. Yeah. Boundary safety equals free safety. Field safety equals strong safety. Yeah. Free safety means center fielder playing and helping on passes in the down the field. Yeah. Strong safety means more up by the line of scrimmage. Whether in the box or covering a guy in the slot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But and that but that's not universal. With the way that Ohio State uses its safety position. Like, both guys are required to do everything to a certain extent. It's just that, and this is for Jordan Fuller's explanation, he is now being asked to play a little more up closer to the line, covering guys in the slot, playing in the box, than he was last year when he was playing a little more center field and Damon Webb was doing some of that other stuff. Is this, this is the phrasing that I've been using with you as you've been teaching me about football. Can we, for lack of a better word, call them the cover safety and the deep safety is that is that a shorthand that we can use? Yeah, to I, help think with, so. with I think field, so. With field boundary free under, and strong, with the understanding that it's not universally applied. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So cover safety was is often more locked up in coverage. Deep safety is the guy who's helping out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So as we as we can we lay a little background? Can I jump in with background? Yeah. As you explain, right? I think I'm doing it. Yeah. Go ahead. Tyvis Powell and Von Bell, Tyvis Powell was the deep safety, Von Bell was the cover safety. 
that cover safety often has to act like a third corner. Mm -hmm. Damon Webb and Malik Hooker. Malik Hooker was the deep safety. Damon Webb was the cover safety. Yeah. And then they and then like a little less so at times toward the end of the year. Okay. But yes. Jordan Fuller and Damon Webb. Damon Webb was the cover safety. Jordan Fuller was the deep safety. This year, Jordan Fuller has moved. He's the cover safety, and Went and Pryor are the deep safeties. Which is why on the 51-yard pass last week, we saw Justin Went trying to help Kendall Sheffield and instead sort of knocking him off the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we're on the right track here. The reason I was asking it is because I want Sean Wade to play safety. <laughs> I want like Greg Shounder to stop talking about it and just like do it. Um, and I was trying to figure out like which spot is best for him. And I actually think he could play either one. But I wanted to get an understanding of what Jordan Fuller was doing because I thought it was different from last year. And basically, I was wondering like should Sean Wade be what Damon Webb was last year and Jordan Fuller go back to what he was last year. And I think that could work, but I also think the opposite could work. I think that you can leave Jordan Fuller where he is and let Sean Wade play where he's sometimes more center field than locked up in coverage, and I think he could be good too because I just think he's a faster, rangier athlete than the guys they have currently playing that position. So, they are interchangeable. There was a play earlier in the game against TCU where they had nickel defense in, and <laughs> I can't tell. I feel like I'm trapped. We're trapped in between explaining football like we're idiots that we're trying to help people who aren't X and O experts, but also we're idiots. So we don't know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There was a play earlier, early in the game against TCU. When they go nickel, their outside corners are two of these three. It is Okuda, Sheffield, and Arnett still rotating between the two outside corner spots. Two of those three are on the field, but never all three. Because when they go nickel, they put in a third cornerback, but that person covers the slot receiver. It is a different position. That person is Sean Wade. So on this play against TCU, all three of those people were covering receivers. A fourth receiver was in the game, and Isaiah Pryor was covering that receiver, and Jordan Fuller was the deep safety in the middle of the field, okay? Which is opposite of what we just said, that often Jordan Fuller is saying he's the cover safety and the other guy is the deep safety. On this particular play, Jordan Fuller was in the middle of the field. Pryor was in coverage. However, on the Draymond Jones interception of the shovel pass in the third quarter, they are in nickel. I'm looking at the play right now. Sheffield and Arnett are covering receivers at the line of scrimmage. Sean Wade is lined up as the third nickel corner over the slot receiver. Jordan Fuller is up just behind the line of scrimmage looking like a linebacker because he has covered responsibilities on the tight end on this play. And Isaiah Pryor is deep middle. He is 12 yards behind the line... 12 yards back from the line of scrimmage, which that is lining up with what we're saying. Mm -hmm. That is their typical alignment. Three receivers, Sheffield, Arnett, Wade, Fuller up at the line, coverage responsibilities, sometimes on a on a, another receiver, sometimes on a tight end, either print went or prior deep. And on this play, Jordan Fuller goes with the tight end a little bit to try a shovel pass, Draymond Jones intercepts it. 
So that's their alignment. So what would you like their now? Because here, here's the problem: if you want Sean Wade playing safety, what are you doing at the nickel corner spot? If you you would like putting in the one of the, putting in Okuda. Okay, so in this alignment, rather than have it be Arnett, Sheffield, Wade playing corner, prior deep, Fuller up, you want Sheffield, Arnett, Okuda playing corner, Wade deep. Fuller up. Yeah. Or. Or or flip Wade and Fuller. Fuller deep, Wade up. Yep. Wade covering the tight end. Mm-hmm. You think that would be better for them. But I especially, because the thing, I think that's to, uh, in base, and then in base defense, you want Sean Wade, when they have only two corners and two safeties on the field, you want Sean Wade on the field. Yep. As a safety. And then often when they're in base, they just have the two safeties split the field. And they're playing the same thing. They're equal. Yeah, they have the last one of the linebackers to cover a tight end. And or, it's two safeties. Or sometimes a slot receiver. Two safeties deep instead of one. Then if it's two safeties deep, it doesn't matter. The yeah. responsibility is the same. What are the chances that you think they do that? Um, I think pretty low. I asked Jordan Fuller, like, have you and Sean Wade ever been on the field together in practice? And he said no. And... He certainly doesn't have to tell me whether or not they were. Like, to be secretive about those things, that's fine. I don't know if it's the case or not. Sean Wade is in the safety room. That was revealed yesterday. I don't know how long he's been in there, but he's in the safety room right now. He's not with the cornerbacks. Um, but I just think we would have seen Sean Wade playing safety by now, I feel like in some capacity. Even if it was like in blowout situations against Oregon State or Rutgers, it still hasn't happened. Um, I still think there's an opening to do it against Tulane and see how it goes. And you can then, if you want to make a switch, you can make it before the Penn State game. But that we haven't seen it at all yet makes me think that it's not going to happen. Unless it becomes so problematic. Like if Ohio State loses the Penn State because their safety play is bad, then maybe it happens. Because Ohio State has a bad habit of not making changes until they lose. Yeah, because here's the thing. Because what you're, I mean, and the main thing is that deep ball. That deep ball, the safety coming to help on a deep ball. The way Malik Hooker used to, the way Tyvis Powell used to, mm-hmm. you would rather ideally. Who would that be? Number one on your list is who? Uh, I guess Fuller because he's done it because he did it last year. Yeah. So Fuller there, and then Wade up when when a safety has to be up at the line in coverage, it's Wade. But bottom line, it's not Wint or Pryor. It's Fuller or Wade. Either of them you would prefer to Wint or Pryor. Yes. And and also not just in coverage, but as that tackler, which also I think maybe Fuller's more prepped for, just because I think he's a pretty good tackler. Yeah. When a guy busts a run and you have a safety taking a line and trying to run somebody down to keep it to a 20-yard gain instead of a 50-yard gain, who do you want that to be? Jordan Fuller's pretty good at that. I think Jordan Fuller, do you think Jordan Fuller's best at both things? I think, yeah, that's part of the issue. Like, they have two positions, and Jordan Fuller is the best guy for both of them. Right. Yeah. But it might be most valuable to have Jordan Fuller play deep and let Sean Wade come up and cover, and that probably is the least distinction. Like, Sean Wade might be pretty much as good as Jordan Fuller at doing the coverage responsibilities of a cover safety, but Jordan Fuller is better than anybody on the team doing the deep safety stuff. Yeah, I think that's possible. Yeah. Is that good safety talk or confusing safety talk? Probably both. I think it got okay toward the end. The beginning was a little little flimsy. Kind of like the Ohio State defense. Yeah. Hey! Why isn't Jalen Gill playing at Bullfrog RTG? Get in line behind Demario McCall. Yeah, I, am not accepting, I am not accepting Jalen Gill questions while Demario McCall rots on the bench. 
<laughs> right? I think Jalen Gill is better than Mario McCall, but sure. What? I've said that before. Oh, my God. I can't keep track of who our guys are. Who's the H-back next year? Starting H. Uh, Jalen Gill? Jalen Gill, yeah. Wow. Okay. Michigan Buckeye at you, Mitch underscore Buckeye. Hey, guys, love the pod. Two questions. Tate Martell was held out versus TCU. Does Tate return for Tulane and, more importantly, for Penn State? Where are we in the Tate Martell universe, Bill Landis? Uh, where I thought we'd be, that he's just, he's, <gasps> he's not part of the plan. God, so hateful. I don't know what happened to you. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not happy about it. I'm just trying to be realistic. Love means never being realistic. Yes, that's true. <laughs> when you... Okay. So listen, I, but I agree with you, right? I mean, I think he'll play against Tulane. Yeah. But what, if he didn't do anything, if they didn't do it against TCU, why would they do it against Penn State? It's just, a, it's a wrinkle that they don't use in actual against tough opponents. Unless like they had, they, they had a hard time in the red zone. Unless they saw something there, they think maybe they could use Tate in the red zone a little bit. Then maybe that that's a change for Penn State. And I think if that's if a change for Penn State, I don't think we'd see it this week. I don't. Yeah. Think, I don't think they'd show that because they shouldn't have to. Um, but if that's not this scenario, then I don't know how it gets on the field against Penn State. If they're not like seven for seven on touchdowns in the red zone against Tulane, we'll ask Urban about that next week before yeah. Penn State. Because yeah. one of the great questions in the history of the Ohio State beat is when Steve Hellwagon of Bucknuts. Asked Urban Meyer in 2015, Urban, it was like right at the end of a news conference, yeah. as Urban was getting ready to leave, and he was like, Urban, could, would you give any consideration to like using JT as your red zone quarterback? And Urban was like, uh, yeah, we're going to do that. <laughs> like, I kind of want to lie, but I'm not going to let myself lie. Dang, you figured out our plan. And then like JT Barrett was the red zone quarterback like four days later. Yeah. And, and Stevie Boy sniffed it out. So... Like if if we said not that he's going to give away the the Penn State plan, um, but you know if we say hey could Tate Martell help you guys in the red zone at all possibly, and they're actually thinking about it, he might force himself to admit it. Yep. Who will be favored in the Penn State game? Guess the line on that now. Ooh, uh, Ohio State will be favored by. What were they? They were. Was it, it was 13 for the TCU game? Yeah. Six? I was going to say six. Yeah. I think Ohio State by six is yeah. pretty good. The second part of Michigan Buckeyes question was, Josh Gordon is a wasted talent slash wasted opportunity with the Browns. Um, what Ohio State player do you think of in the same way in terms of like wasted talent, wasted opportunity? Mm. He suggests Noah Spence, Deron Carter, Maurice Claret, others. Deron Carter's a really good one. I don't. Yeah, I wasn't around for um, Noah Spence is interesting. Uh, Demario McCall, and not not that anything, just because that we he doesn't get to play. Yeah, not no, that he's Noah done Spence got wrong. stuff turned around though, right? Is he does he play for the Bucks? I know he he's, he's a second round draft pick, wasn't he? Yeah, he yeah. plays. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of Ohio State, for Ohio State's purposes, yeah. I mean, Noah Spence is probably the one that I would say because I wasn't covering the team in 2013, but like I was aware of what was going on with him. You know what else? Who I got there? Hmm. Superman. Oh yeah, I should look at Slippery Rock and see what he's doing. Don't don't you dare suggest a Slippery Rock trip on me. You are not. I have uh, I have close friends who have a campground near Slippery Rock University, 
It's a beautiful place. We can stay for free. Yeah. We'll skip like the Minnesota game and just go watch Slippery Rock one weekend. Right on Superman! The, right on the Crick is uh, Pennsylvania. So. Yeah. Um, oh, this is interesting. With Paul... Sometimes I can't tell an R and an N from an M. Paul Vamos at Vamo10. Since the linebacker play is bad at times, would it be beneficial to just play nickel at all times? That way we can just keep weight on the field instead of linebackers with poor instincts or poor coaching. Let's go to the Dan Hope snap count. Dan Hope. Oh, man. Our friend from 11 Warriors, who does the work of 10 people and every week counts up all the snaps for every Ohio State player so that knucklehead podcasters like us can just go to a website and click on it and figure out how many snaps everyone played. This is also relating to a question that I will find now about which linebackers are playing. So we're going to get into snap counts as they relate to the linebackers and this nickel idea. Um, What are the snap counts for the linebackers? Landis. Snap counts against TCU were Malik Harrison with 76, Pete Werner with 53, Tuff Borland with 39, Baron Browning with 33. Those are the only four who played. And then what are the uh, secondary snap counts? At corner, Kendall Sheffield with 65, Damon Arnett with 52, Sean Wade with 39, Jeffrey Okuda with 38. And at safety, Jordan Fuller with 77, Isaiah Pryor with 61, Jocelyn Wint with 16. Okay, so what that is telling us is A, the prior Wint rotation isn't really a rotation. It's prior and Wint plays a little bit. Yep. It's telling us that Malik Harrison and Pete Werner are the top two linebackers and Borland and Browning are basically sharing a spot. Yep. Right? But it is also telling us that Wade, Sean Wade, the nickel corner, got as many snaps as the two guys sharing the middle linebacker spot. And they um, play usually, well, here's the thing that you noticed. Tough Borland is never in a nickel, which is not a surprise. Never. So when they're in nickel, it's two of the three of Warner, Browning, and Malik Harrison. And really when it's a super, super passing down, like when it's a third down nickel, it's usually, I think, Warner and Harrison. It's yeah. always Harrison. He's their best cover linebacker. But it's usually Werner and Harrison. Yep. Um, they had some snaps earlier where they were playing some nickel on first and second down in the second half. And it was Browning and Harrison who were in the game. Um, and then on third down, there's a particular series, 21-19, Ohio State's um, still down. They come out. TCU gets the ball back after Ohio State had scored. And they come out, and the linebackers on first and second down are Browning and Harrison. And on third down, they were Werner and Harrison. So Borland was out. Some I can't find the question, but somebody had asked, like, who's getting the important linebacker snaps? And so there were a lot of snaps. I think they started leaning nickel in the second half to deal with the speed. And it's really this linebacker rotation is not a rotation. I don't think there's anything in game situations with the safety spot. It's just priors playing mostly, and then I think they put in Wint from time to time. I don't think that's based on situation. But clearly these other rotations, like the three corners, the three main corners, Arnett and Sheffield are above Okuda. Okuda is not an equal member of that group. Yeah, and, and part of it is they're, they're not – um, Arnett and Sheffield, I think, are ahead of him, and then Wade is also taking the third spot on nickel. Well, but bottom line – but again, if the nickel is out of it, 
Like the nickel is not a, is not a factor with the three corners. But it anymore. would but it would be more opportunity to play the three corners. Well, what I'm saying. And in week one, that's what they did. Yeah. And then they made a shift. Mm-hmm. So, but but that's out of the equation. So it's just the snaps at the two corner spots are all that matter. And the way they're divvying up those snaps, the two corner spots is not divided by three equally. It's Sheffield and Arnett yeah. are getting the most, and then Okuda is getting some. Yes. But that decision, and again, the, if you add up Borland, Browning, and Wade, you're going to get like 90-something snaps, and there were 70-something plays in the game. So it's not, a, not an even comparison. But the bottom line is Sean Wade, as the nickel corner, is on the field as much as the two guys who were sort of sharing the middle linebacker spot, which yeah. tells you something about a game like that. But I also don't think that we're – I think the, the thing about the linebacker rotation is – Warner and Harrison are the starting outside linebackers. That's it. Nobody else plays. Yep. Borland and Browning share the middle linebacker spot, but they don't actually rotate. It's it's like situational more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Borland is more like the first and second down linebacker. Browning is more in on third down. Because I think there are times when they have three linebackers in on third down. But yeah, short now, on third and one, it's going to be tough Borland. On third and four, I think it might be Baron Browning. On third yeah. and six, they're probably a nickel, and definitely tough Borland's not in, and it might be Browning. Mm-hmm. But they were playing Browning some first and second downs as a, as a linebacker when they were in nickel. So I think that's I think it's a, it's sort of what we thought. I think it's sort of what we thought with Browning and Borland, and I was getting worried a little bit that we were like viewing tough Borland a certain way that wasn't necessarily fair, but he's just not going to be in as much against speedy spread teams when he's got to cover guys in space. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of what we anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think when they play, if they play Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship, I think tough Borland will play a lot, and Baron Browning might not play very much. I think that's true. All right, so we figured that out. That's Buckeye Talk. We figured Mm -hmm. it out. All right, see you later. Greg Siron, G-R-S-Y-R-O-N. Is this a championship caliber defense? Could they stop Bama consistently enough to win a game? It seems more like 2013's defense than 2014's defense. Talk about the worries with this defense. No, well, like 2013 was like they couldn't cover anybody, right? Yeah. I would disagree with that. I I think that they are aggressive by nature. That leads to some big plays every now and then, and they have some technical things to fix up to fix at linebacker and safety that are allowing some of these big plays to kind of go all the way. I think big plays are inevitable when you play defense this way, but I don't think I don't think like their past defense is like fundamentally broken the way it was broken in twenty thirteen. I agree, um, and I think. I think they're more talented. Maybe they're not more talented. They were in fourteen. Fourteen was pretty good. I think they're closer to fourteen than they than they are to thirteen for sure. Okay. Um, so like you're, you can be worried about it. I, th- I think you can be worried about it. They're playing a really good offense in two weeks. <coughs> um, they're just playing a, like halfway decent offense this week against Tulane. I just I don't think that'll matter all that much. Um, but I don't think I don't think that there are incorrectable issues that are going to keep Ohio State from playing for a championship. Now some people might disagree with that, but I'm not there yet. I thought that there was I thought there was a lot of good against TCU in addition to some of those big plays and TCU. Is really fast and really spread you out, and I don't think that Ohio State was ready, quite ready for that speed, and I don't know if they'll see it again. The one thing that, and you made this comment earlier about Ohio State figuring things out too late, 
with one to make some position switches. Yeah. I mean, the one that stands out is in 2013, after Christian Bryant got hurt, they did not put Von Bell in the starting lineup until the Orange Bowl. Somebody asked me about Somebody asked me if Sean Wade is Von Bell. And that hurt them in the loss to Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship that kept them out of the national championship game. Like, there's not... If you want to create a scenario to me where if they had started Von Bell in the Big Ten Championship game, would Ohio State have played for the national title in 2013? Like, my simplistic answer to that is maybe yes. Yeah. So, Von Bell was a true freshman that year, but they made a mistake. They made a mistake, and it was Urban Meyer was slow to pull the trigger on that. Yep. Um, I think the, the equivalence there for 2013 is the idea of could a weakness at a position, and again, it's one safety spot, just like it was then. Could it could a almost a single weakness really cost you? And I I will be very curious to see if they make a move on this. If it continues to be something that is noticeable, do they make a personnel move sooner than the last game of the year? Yeah, I was I was encouraged. I wrote this. I was encouraged by the idea that they're talking about Wade at safety and playing him at nickel. That that they won't wait for something bad to happen to make a change. Um, but I. I think we're pretty close to there through three games that if they want to make a change now, I think they can do it. And maybe they should do it. I'll be curious to see because you, uh, you don't want Trace, Mc, Trace McSorley putting some balls up against the secondary you have questions about. Yeah, especially if Ohio State's pass rush is going to be not quite as good if Nick Bosa doesn't play. Good questions we have this week. We're getting Greg Shiano Wednesday night. Greg... G-R-E-G-G-C-7-4. First, when can Urban Meyer stop saying, I apologize? Is it now? Please? <laughs> I think it is now. I think it's now. I think, that's, I think that part of it is over. The two-hour break we took in the middle of this podcast, part of it was for a Wall Street Journal story that came out about how Gene Smith has, as, on a regular basis, just deletes his tech message, text messages in the Ohio State uh, the investigation commissioned by Ohio State did not attempt to recover those text messages. Um, that's getting a little inside baseball on some open records laws as they pertain to an entity like the Ohio State Athletic Program and Ohio State in general. Um, there's some probably some dancing to do going forward on this. But I think the one point in that is that this is not an NCAA investigation. There may be some issues that arise about whether... Uh, Urban Meyer and Gene Smith followed Ohio State's protocols as they relate to Ohio State's open record laws. And did Gene Smith and or Urban Meyer violate Ohio State's open record laws by deleting texts or having settings on their phone that delete texts, right? Yeah. That is not exactly the same thing as where we started with this. Um It can lead to like suggestions of like what are they trying to hide, but it also can just lead to suggestions of like are they not following public records laws and what should be – if they aren't, what's the outcome of not following those laws? And like is it like well, then they should be fired for not fi- following public records laws. Like I don't think we're going to get to that point. I think maybe there's some stuff that they're going to have to answer for still. But this, to me, does not seem like a thing on its own that's going to like completely dredge up another round of all of everything that just happened. Or do you think it could be, lead to that? I just don't know what, what would precipitate it. Because in the Wall Street Journal story, Ohio State stance seems to be like, we're good with this. 
So who, who, who forces the issue to like make something like that happen? I just don't know. So, and, and again, one thing is, is there a violation of an Ohio law as it regards public records, as it regards the investigation, this was an, an independent investigation commissioned by Ohio state to investigate itself. It's not the NCAA. So if the issue is like, was Ohio state's investigation thorough enough? It's like, well, was it thorough enough for Ohio state? Yeah. And was it thorough enough to satisfy the public at large that this was a real investigation? First of all, they didn't have to do an investigation. Second of all, I don't know how much the public cares. And so, like, they're not – people might be mad about it, but I don't know that there's any outcome other than, like, a PR hit of, like, oh, yeah. your, your investigation was a sham. It's like, well, the investigation that we can do whatever we want with our employees, they can fire them or, or not fire them. They were doing a self-investigation to decide if they should fire them. So yeah. Colorado had coaches that go through this. They didn't do anything. They suspend the guys for a week and made them go to a seminar or whatever, and that was it. So, like, if that's the thing, like, how this investigation was a fraud, I just, maybe they get away with that because some people will be mad about that, but it's maybe the same cohort of people that are already mad at Ohio State. Yeah, I think it's the same thing we talked about after Urban's press conference. Like, if you were, if you were mad, you're going to stay mad, and if you weren't mad, then I don't, like, whatever. You're, you're on your side already, I think. I don't think this is going to sway people to a different side. And and me us sitting here right now as like journalists that cover Ohio State and want to do a thorough job and fair job covering this program, um, my hair's not on end about this being like uh oh, right? No, no. That's I'm, just what I'm we think. Not, yeah. Greg with the second question, but I don't think. But in in regards to what Urban did or didn't do with Zach Smith and Courtney Smith and all that stuff, I think that part of the apology is over. Yep. And you either you either like believe it. Believe his apology, whatever, or you don't. And I don't know what any more outcome of that is other than how you view Urban Meyer. Yep. Second, why are fajitas not a weekly staple in all homes? Those who don't like them are as much an alien as someone who does not like a burger and fries. Am I on an island here? Seems like a pretty random food to to stump for. Um, I don't know. Fajitas are good. Aren't they kind of a pain to make? Well, that's the thing. Unless you're just buying a frozen bag of fajitas and then... And then those aren't as good. Yeah. I would rather go to a Mexican restaurant and have them make the fajitas for me. But the idea... Does anyone not like fajitas? Because here's the thing that I think is good about fajitas is you get you make the fajita yourself. Yeah. So it's like, well, I don't like sour cream or I don't like uh, guac or I don't like this kind of salsa or I don't... Well, you then don't put it in your in your fajita. Right. So I am a fan of the of the roll your own. Right, mm-hmm. roll your own, and grilled meat. Those are two. That's a winning combination for me. Grill some meat, then do whatever you want to do with it. It's a free country. That I'm that I'm in on. So, but the idea of like maybe I'll let someone else grill my meat. I'm in favor of that. Or do you grill? <laughs> or do you grill your own meat? Book thirty four. What book are we up to? And I think it's actually 34 because last one, the last one was Larry Bird, you said, 33 at the end of the last one. Oh, nice. nice. Eric Boggs at Buckeye Boggs. Is Thayer Munford becoming the best offensive lineman on the roster? On two occasions in the TCU game, I can recall him being 10 to 15 yards downfield blocking for the RBs on a few of the longer runs. Do you have a take? You're our offensive line rider. Do you have a take on Thayer? Uh, no, I, I actually feel like I have not been watching the offensive line as closely as what? I should be through these first three games. But like clearly, like some stuff has stuck out about Michael Jordan and his snaps. Uh, I think Malcolm Pridgen has made a mistake or two. 
Isaiah Prince, I think I saw, got beat on one play. Like I, 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 through three games, I don't remember looking at a particular play and going, oh man, Demetrius Knox or Thayer Munford blew that one, which I guess means they're playing well. So uh, I still think that, I don't know, I, I guess I think Jordan is still their best offensive lineman, um, but Thayer Munford's played really well so far. Jared Duncan at Buckeye Fan 686 Under Urban, the Buckeyes will always be contenders, but does this year feel a little more urgent because there's a decent chance that Ryan Day, Greg Schiano, Kevin Wilson, and Dwayne Haskins could all depart after this season. Yeah, I think so. Really? Yeah. There's a lot of shakeup coming. The coach but, staff. But you, do you think that adds urgency? Like they better win now? I mean, windows are windows. Yeah. But I don't. I, I thought, like, like better win now or what? Like I don't know. But or win next year. <laughs> I thought we had had a discussion previously that we thought there aren't windows at Ohio State anymore. Because because there have been two instances where we thought. This team was dealing with windows, and you thought oh, 15 yeah. was the best shot, and they won in 14. Won 14 yeah. And then you thought 16, they were going to be young and rebuilding, and they made the playoff in 16. And then 17, with all those seniors, they didn't make the playoff. So I'm out on windows. I am out on Ohio State windows. Now, and the only person in that, in that equation of four people, Daciano, Wilson, Haskins, I think there's only one person that matters in terms of a window. In that group? Yeah. Haskins? Yeah. Yeah. No offense to coaches and no offense to Dre Knott, who thinks all assistant coaches should be paid $4 million a year. They're replaceable. They're middle managers. Ryan Day's been great. Tim Beck was also. Awesome. I almost said that was... You said Tim Beck was awesome. Okay. I just said that wrong twice. I said Ryan Day was great. Tim Beck was also. Also great. And then instead of saying awful, I said awesome. Yep. So now we have another thing to edit out. Now you're on tape saying Tim Beck is awesome. Let me be clear. If there's a Texas fan listening, maybe Ryan, no. Maybe Bill Davis, his brother-in-law, would also like to send this to Tim Beck. Send him this. Tim Beck was awful. So, just because you sometimes make bad hires doesn't mean that assistant coaches should make $4 million a year. It doesn't mean that they're all the same but it means that you should be able to lose a good one and find a good one. Frankly, it's the same as sports journalists. <laughs> you should be able to lose a good one and find a good one. So, they're going to lose Ryan Day at some point. They should be able to replace him with somebody good. Yeah. The Dwayne Haskins thing I buy a little bit. However, you're going to tell me that the 2019 Ohio State Buckeyes led by a junior class of third-year players that was the best recruiting class we ever said Ohio State was going to have, and mm-hmm. then they're, they're going to be backed up by a second-year group of sophomores that was just as good. Actually better. With Tate Martell running some zippy-dippy zone read and, and setting defenses on fire with J.K. Dobbins and Thayer Munford back. And Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis on the offensive line. More Jalen Harris at receiver. A couple of these first-year receivers will have grown up a little bit. Baron Browning and Jeffrey Okuda and Teron Vincent and Tarada Mitchell and all these guys. Like, that team's not going to be just as much of a contender. Dwayne Haskins is awesome. That's the one if. But they're going to revert. They're going to revert to the old offense for a year, right? 2018... Dwayne Haskins goes crazy throwing. 2019, zippy-dippy Tate Martell, zone read. And then 2020, Zach Jack Miller is going to toss it around the yard. Because Tate's going pro after one year. Uh, 
the offense is going to have to be more than reverting to what the old offense was. And then I'll feel better about it. And I think it can. Like, I, I, think, I think Tate can be a better passer than JT Barrett. Yeah. But he has to be for me to be as confident as you are at the moment. But all I'm saying is, I think they're really good this year. I think they're a national championship level team this year. But, yeah. but I do not feel an urgency. And if I feel any urgency, it's only attached to Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm feeling too. It's not, it's not the coaches. It's maybe Day a little bit. It's not Shiano, who I think is really good. But I think Alex Grinch is also a great defensive coordinator. And they'll be fine if it's just him by himself next year. Um, I think it's mostly Haskins. It makes me feel that way. And I also, but I don't actually feel that way. But if I would, I just don't, I do not believe in windows. Because we've missed them. We think you see a window. And then they're, they're talented enough that they don't screw up along the way. And then the other thing you don't know about Windows, and that's the thing, you don't, we don't know enough about all the other teams to know, uh-oh, Michigan's going to be really good in 2020 or yeah. whatever, right? And that affects everything. So it's like, okay, well, this, you th- it's like, all right, is this an urgency to this window? Well, you thought the Big Ten East was going to be really good and make this window hard. Okay, Michigan State lost to Arizona State. So that adds urgency to this window because Michigan State's not as good as you think. There's just no windows. Yeah. There's no windows at Bama. There's no windows, it turns out, at Clemson. You thought maybe Clemson had a Deshaun Watson window. They didn't. Yeah, that's true. There should not. Now, here's the thing. If there is a window at Ohio State, that's a problem. Because then that means you're not Bama and you're not Clemson. I don't think there should be a window. There could be windows everywhere else. You know what? Even Oklahoma thought they might have a Baker Mayfield window. They didn't. Kyler Murray. He's fine. We think. Chris McKee at Chris McKee. For some reason, people are asking about Mexican food. Tacos, carne asada, carnitas, what's good? What about Asian fusion tacos? We're all over the place here. Uh, are you a pork taco guy? No. What is carne asada? I don't know. I, carne what, means meat. Meat also. I think asada means also. Or, or awesome. I, how much Spanish should you know to eat a Mexican restaurant? I'm Zero. always a little hesitant to ask to have food explained to me. Carne asada is a Mexican and Central American dish of grilled and sliced beef uh, cooked with a certain amount of searing to impart a charred flavor. It can be served as a main dish or as an ingredient in other dishes. Okay. Meat. So it's meat? Just looks like it's meat, yeah. All right, meat okay. tastes good. Yeah, meat's good. All right, meat tastes good. That's our Buckeye Talk answer to that. Huh? I mean, tacos... That's book 35. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Asian fusion tacos. How are you on uh, on that? The, like the combination of the uh, ethnicities as it re- regards food? Uh, I, I've never had Asian fusion tacos, but I like Asian food and I like tacos, so I'm sure it's good. I like breakfast and I like tacos and I like bre- breakfast tacos, so... Uh, any good food wrapped in a tortilla is okay by me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. A lot of breakfast tacos in, uh, in Texas. It's great. A lot of options. It's the best way to eat food, in my opinion. Is this normal, though? I had, I had uh, Chipotle for dinner last night, hmm. and it is wreaking havoc right now at 3.30 Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why. You gotta, if you're having Chipotle, carve out uh, three days afterward where you're still feeling the effects. Well, that's the thing. That, I think, is an interesting food topic. How the the decision that you make, especially as you get older, the decision for momentary taste and uh, repeated distress. Yeah, book yeah. thirty six. Yep. The like that idea of 
I because re- I, I like the hot salsa at Chipotle, but I know I'm gonna pay the price. It's gonna get you, yeah. And at some point, do you just stop paying the price? But I can't imagine not eating that salsa. Not until the doctor tells you to, tells you to stop. Yeah. And if you never go to the doctor, then I'll never tell you to stop. Wow, that sounds good. Uh, G Nilly ninety seven, quick one. More likely to be in Columbus next fall, Ryan Day or Dwayne Haskins? Oh God, that's a really good question. Um, Haskins. I say Day. I think someone's going to hire Ryan Day this year. I think he might wait for the perfect job, and I'm not 100% sure the perfect job's going to be there. That's a good point. If Dwayne stays for next season, would Tate most likely transfer? If Dwayne decides to go to the draft, what round do you think he will get drafted? I think if Dwayne, if Dwayne Haskins is in the 2019 draft, he will be a first-rounder. I agree with that. I think Tate probably will transfer. I think, if, he, I think he would transfer. And people say, like, why would he transfer? He'd have to sit anyway. He can play in 2020. Like, we don't know his academic situation. He might be able to be a grad transfer. Yeah. And I think he wants to play. Which makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be interesting. He's going to be good Jeez. in such a different way than Dwayne Haskins. I think. Yeah, I think. I think we've seen enough to know that. Uh, is Bill Davis the weak link of the coaching staff? Yes. Yeah. Um, we never saw Braxton Cardale and JT play together, but will we ever see a Dwayne and Tate play? This is from our boy Drizzy Get Busy One. Do you think we're going to see something with that? Like when we. Uh, I want to see Tate run a meaningful Wildcat snap because I think it can help Ohio State. Here's the thing. like If you're going to put Paris Campbell in the Wildcat like they tried to do against TCU, then just put Tate Martell in. So is it going to be one of those plays, though, will they be on the field together and Dwayne Haskins goes out wide? And like, Oh, I wouldn't do that. You would just replace him? Yeah. I hate myself because I, I take, like, I, I'm always worried about people taking a shot at the quarterback. Yeah. While I, would, I, would, I, wouldn't, out there. I wouldn't do that. Bush League just saying, Stewart underscore E4 US vet. Are they saving a deep bomb to Paris Campbell for a big game? I assume all the drops he's had is to make other teams believe he can't catch the deep ball. It's not what Paris Campbell does. No. And then someone else is once this he also in the second part of his question wants Tate and Dwayne on the field together. Yeah. I mean I do it. That'd be great. I love the write about it. But, but I just I don't know if it's smart. I wouldn't wait on that. I just don't think that's not Terry McLaurin is a good deep ball threat. Johnny Dixon is a good deep ball threat. Paris Campbell can turn a two yard pass into a deep ball, so you don't have to throw it fifty. Yeah. You just have to throw it two and let him run fifty. Mm-hmm. And I think they need to do it more. Do you agree with that? Like, do you I do. Think that I do. We just, yeah. Whatever it is, we need more Paris Campbell. I think it's. I think it's always uh, potentially tricky when you're trying trying to force guys the ball. Um, but yeah, I think you need to get Paris the ball in, in tunnel screens on mesh routes to get him moving with the ball. We know what it is. We saw some of it last year. They were better about it last year. I think they've been okay with it this year. Inconsistent. Gonzo Grover, Rich Burns, Rich Bruins, plain butter soaked or cheesy popcorn? Um, I don't like a lot of butter, so I'll say plain and then butter and then cheese. Plain? I had a bad experience with butter popcorn one time, probably because I drank the butter in the bottom of the bag. You drank the butter? We all did. We were like at a, me and my friend, I don't know, we were like 10. Me and my friends went to see a movie and then like had a sleepover and then like we all drank the butter and we all threw up. Oh my god. Yeah. So now you're out on movie popcorn butter like for good? I I like it. Like I can still eat it. Like it's it's like a weird thing. It's almost like a gag reflex. Like I can't watch it being applied to the popcorn. <laughs> ah! But it's okay if it's on there, but it can't be a lot. So when you go to the movies and they say do you want butter flavor on your popcorn? What do you say? If they're doing it, I'll say yes. If I have to do it myself, I don't put it on there. Do you want to put them in the middle layer? 
Like they'll like like popcorn and then butter and then pop. I don't ask for that. No, uh, I never even crossed my mind. That's a good idea. Yeah, sometimes I'll do it on their own, but uh, I my problem is when we go to the, and we've had this discussion about our the Lamarys family movie habits previously, where mm-hmm. people called me a thief. We share the large popcorn. So what happens is, I get the large popcorn. It's on my lap. We divvy it up into little bowls, and all the buttered popcorn on the top gets divvied up to the other bowl, other bowls. That I'm left with the unbuttered popcorn. And so sometimes I start eating the popcorn right away, and they're like, "Why are you eating the popcorn out of the big family bucket?" And I said, "Because the dad never gets any butter. Can I get like three bites of buttered popcorn before you guys scoop your buck your bowls in and take all the buttered popcorn?" Yeah. It's much better. The butter is much better. That's why I mean, it clogs your vein. Yeah. Butter on your broccoli. Um, Cynical Negro, NW Drone 410. How do you report on injuries when coaches basically don't have to say anything? You have unnamed sources or just kind of guess? That guy looks hurt to me. He looks hurt to me. We don't guess. We don't guess. We look out for stuff. Uh, Sometimes. Uh, like, for, like, I don't know. I don't know what's up with Robert Landers. Urban Meyer said he's probable this week. Didn't say what the deal was. And, like, I saw Robert Landers walking off the field, like, with his arm in a brace yesterday. So, it's like, okay, something's up with his upper body, at least. Yeah. So, like, that's, that's kind of stuff. I don't know. I don't think, uh, like, season-ending injuries are season-ending injuries. Uh, when it comes to the medical issues of unpaid athletes, um, I think you can pry a little too much. So, I don't really do, try to do it. And I think the one thing is is uh, I think it's a little uncomfortable to go. Um, it's a kid's medical issue, and if you're talking to people, sometimes you you know you get to know families and you get to know people who know the players well during the course of recruiting and other things. When a guy's been here for a while, so sometimes you maybe talk to people who are directly associated with the player, and if they're comfortable giving you some information about the player's health status, you're not like going behind their back. Yeah, to like try to go. Like if it's not coming from the coaches and it's not coming from people directly related from the to the kid, and you're somewhere like somewhere in between, somebody like associated with the program that might have information about it but isn't really intimately involved with the injury and isn't intimately involved with the kid, I think that's a little, you know, I mean we're here to we're here to supply information to the readers, but I do think it's fair. NFL guys are different, but this is. Kids and their medical issues. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. we'll make some calls on Nick Bosa, but we're also not going to make 30 calls on it because um, it's, you know, it's not life or death. But it's important to that kid. This is one we've been waiting to dig in on. Brian O'Connor at B-O-Con-182. Chuganoff, Chug. Chuganoff? Chug. Chug. The quarterback from West Virginia who transferred here brings the roster to 86. Shout out to Brian O'Connor for counting the roster, which is a good thing for fans to do. We also have counted the roster. And what did you come up with? They're, they're one over. They're 86. I believe all of the non-freshmen have played. Save for Jake Hausman, Brandon Bowen, and Malik Barrow. Yep. All three have injury concerns. Did one of them take a medical hardship to clear space for Chug? This is an astute reader and listener Doing some digging that matches up with digging that we, you, Bill Landis, have also done and have been trying to get Ohio State to give information about since you first told, you told him, right? You told Ryan Day, you're over. Ch- Ryan Day said, yeah. Chug is here. 
And he did the chugga chugga sound. Chugga 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 chugga. And then I said to my God, I said to myself, my God, it's her tornado. Chugga 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 chugga. And then you said, Ryan Day, not to interrupt your uh, wonderful run as Ohio State's acting head coach, but you're at 86. And then Ryan Day said to you, you can't count Bill Landis. And he stormed out of the room. Yeah, he was a little, got a little testy. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We just had a conversation about not speculating about injuries, so now I'm not going to do it. But, but they're at 86. Good observation. They're at 86, yeah. You can count. There's a really good question from our friend A.A. Ron. Um, rank Ohio State starting quarterbacks from 2005 to today. Overall, arm talent, running ability, leadership, and tangibles. Also is a hot dog a sandwich. We're definitely not doing that. Um, I'll write about that. I, I will write about Dwayne Haskins compared to the, all the quarterbacks that I've seen here. I yeah, think that's that'll interesting. be good. I'll write about that because I think, I think I might have a surprising answer for people on, on who I might take. Tate. <laughs> um, all right, you got anything else? No, I have to go home and shower before interviews. Really? Yeah. What's the best buffet restaurant? Says friendly neighborhood bunion man. I don't do uh, I don't do buffet. I've said this before. I don't do I don't I don't like a public buffet because of because uh, uh, cleanliness. Because people are dirty, <laughs> and I'm I'm including myself in that. I'm also a filthy human. Uh, yeah, like I, I mean, I've had I've had like a breakfast buffet at a hotel or like the buffet and press boxes or the food and press boxes is typically it's always buffets. So I would not try not having sit down dinners in a press box. Um, but, like, yeah, I'm not going to go to, like, Old Country Buffet or uh, Golden Corral. Use the bathroom at Golden Corral one time. You're not going to go to Golden Corral. Interesting. I just haven't. I shouldn't, like, I'm not, I guess I'm not, like, staunchly opposed to the idea of buffets. It's just not appealing to me. I and like I've buffets. Never, How about Pizza Hut Buffet? Well, yeah, that's a different thing. Yeah. Pizza Hut Buffet. I lived on Pizza Hut Buffet Pizza Hut Buffet is not sitting out all day. That's true. I like buffets. Uh, the best buffet restaurants, Pizza Hut Buffet. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a, I mean, if you hit the Pizza Hut Buffet right... You got to hit it right when it's not. Sometimes it gets so busy there's no pizza on it. Yeah. And sometimes then they put out all weird pizzas and then everybody eats the cheese and pepperoni and then I have to scream at people like, why do you have goat cheese pizza out of a freaking Pizza Hut buffet? Give the people what they want. I do like a CC's buffet. Oh, Is they CC's in Ohio? They, a lot of them moved. There was one by our house that closed. We all cried. All right. That's Puckeye talk. Um, you said Puckeye. Yeah. I also said Tim Beck is awesome. I've really yeah. been on this podcast. All right. Here's the thing. We had a theme song at the beginning of that podcast, and it's from our friend Mike Lewis, who produced that Mamma Jamma in Tennessee and made a theme song for us. And the reason he did that is because I don't know why, because why would someone be that nice to us? But Mike Lewis has been emailing me and working on this for weeks and weeks and weeks, and we could not be more appreciative of someone taking time out of their music career to make a theme song for us. So here's what we're going to do. At some point, we will have Mike Lewis on to tell us why he did that. Because it's just too nice. Yeah. So um, anyway, that's it for Buckeye Talk. Tulane this week at 3.30. Penn State the following Saturday at 7.30? 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We did not deal with Urban very much here. So You're welcome. Yeah. He's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks to you guys for listening. We also didn't do our reviews. We got some more reviews, but we're back at five star. We, we got a one star because uh, Doug hates Urban, and we got right, uh, right. somebody also uh, suggested – oh, did we get two one stars? I'm just going to read the one stars because the one stars are funny. From Gary the Golfer. This was from yesterday. The slamming of Urban is getting very old. I really used to enjoy this podcast, but lately the negative podcasts and articles are just too much. I think at least one member of this group might consider how tired listeners are of listening to his negative views. I'm assuming he's talking about you. Oh, by the way, I had to bring this up. There was a thing last week about 
someone said like one of the people on here is tedious. Yeah. And it was like, which one of us is tedious? And then my wife listened to this and she was like, what are you doing? Like, it's you. You're the tedious one, obviously. And I was like, well, it could be either of us. She's like, no, it's clearly you. You are tedious. So I wanted to apologize for perhaps implying that if someone said someone on this podcast was tedious for even briefly thinking that they might be referring to you when it's clearly me. Uh, here's another uh, one-star review that's just labeled Doug, and it's from uh, TikiK305. Mm. Had been a habitual listener until Doug mounted his high horse and became relentlessly annoying. His personal, yes, personal, attacking on Urban. Mm. Mm. You'll mask your bias by claiming it was responsible journalism and alienate a good portion of the fan base. I personally feel you do not like your assignment and or geographic area and are using this to promote your career elsewhere. Good luck from a former faithful listener. He also says, I feel bad for Bill. Wow. <laughs> so. Where are you moving? A couple things on that. Uh-huh. Uh, I hate Ohio's pizza. So if I could ever get a job at a place that had real pizza, that's on the table. Yep. Fair. But I've made that clear from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing is, uh, I've been here for 13 years. Nobody in my family lives in Ohio, but we're raising my children in Ohio. And so if I wanted to leave, I would have left. Um, and I could just like be a jerk and just list all the jobs that I've turned down since I've been here, but I won't. But one time I was in the car to drive to Philadelphia to interview to be the Philadelphia Phillies beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And uh, the plane dealer called me and told me not to go. And I stayed. So if I wanted to go, I could be gone. And I don't want to go. The other thing is, all I'll tell you is that... um, Not that it matters, but Urban Meyer does not think I've been unfair to him. I think that does matter, actually. So I'll just tell you that. Because, and this is a conversation between us, but I wanted to make sure... Um, with Urban Meyer that after uh, my questions to him in Chicago that did were included um, in the report and the investigation about how he handled Zach Smith. Some of his answers to my questions were cited. I just wanted to clear the air with him and make sure that if he had anything that he wanted to say to me that I wanted to let him know that I was here um, and give him that opportunity face to face to say it after the news conference on Monday. And Urban Meyer and I talked, and I'll just tell you that Urban Meyer and I are fine. So if you are, if you are angry at me on behalf of Urban Meyer, um, I have no indication that he's mad at me. And that's based on the way that Cleveland.com has covered this from the get-go. So there's that. And we're not going to change what we do uh, if a couple people get mad. Someone gave us a five-star because uh, we're pretty average and they like it. Hey. All other podcasts are too trendy and national-based. He says, I live in Florida, so your guys are like hanging out with a bunch of Buckeye fans at a bar. That's what he says. We also got a five-star review from Dr. Shrimp Puerto Rico, which is an excellent uh, reference to Impractical Jokers, which is a show that I love. Yeah. Um, a lot of five-stars. Thank you for all the five-stars. Thank you for the five-stars, and thank you for the one-stars. And the two-star person who said we should sleep before recording post-game podcast. I'm in favor of that. Which we are in favor of more sleep during football season in general, but we're not going to get it. Yep. Um, we never get three stars. Everybody either loves us or hates us. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine. Which is also how we go through life. Bill Landis, Doug Lamarese, thanks to you guys for listening. Read our stuff at cleveland.com. We'll see you at Ohio Stadium 3.30 for the quick kickoff on Saturday. But for now, he's Bill. I'm Doug. That was Buckeye Talk.